This is Kevin Brittingham from Q. This is the Q and Ask. Uh, this is episode, I think, four. Uh, we're with Trey Knight of Knight Armament Company and um, Institute of Military Technology. Is that the name of the museum? Yes, sir. Yep. So probably the biggest small arms collection in the world. Disney um, World of Guns. <laughs> yeah, totally. You need a golf cart to ride around in it. Um, so Trey and I are, are have been buddies for a very long time. Um, they've made a lot. He, he and his family made a lot of important contributions to our industry. Um, he's a personal friend. We got a lot of common interests and great experiences. Um, so I know you're doing good. You're you're still waiting on a launch from Elon Musk down there in Florida. Yeah, they push it to three forty-five. If they, when it goes that late, they'll probably have to scrub it. It sounds like so, but that's just the game. But this, yeah, this is a big one. Um, this will probably be the biggest rocket I'll have ever seen. Um, goes back to you know they're moving, proving that they can move that much payload up there. He's putting a one of his roadsters up in space with a mannequin in it, playing. Uh, David Bowie, Ground Control to Major Tom. So I think that's pretty cool, man. I can't wait to see, like, the, hopefully there'll be some video footage of that or whatever, but it's one hell of a car commercial, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great job by him. Bill, billion well, dollar car even, commercial. <laughs> well, that's not even space. That's going to Mars, isn't it? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'd be interested to see how they deploy that car out of nose cone or what they're going to do with that. I don't, I haven't really, Totally figured out the details, but I'm hoping they're gonna, you know, they're gonna get it out of the, you know, launch it from the nose and just be floating around in space. How cool is that? <laughs> That's pretty cool, but I think it's going to Mars actually, which is yeah. kind of even cooler. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I like I said, you know, this we have a, a big strong connection to the to obviously the space space industry here in Tennessee. In fact, our building is was owned by McDonnell Douglas and uh they actually assembled the Apollo in, in the building that you know that we that we occupy today. So the whole community the the you know, there's a big history here for of of the space industry and you know it's obviously him coming back in here, Blue Horizons coming in down here. It's really good for the economy and it's real good to just see these kind of jobs, you know, being back in the area, revitalized the area a bit. You know, you got a Florida town that doesn't have a beach, um, so uh, there's a lack of obviously tourism because the beach is all occupied by a cape there. So you got a, a town that really is kind of a working town, um, which is rare in Florida. Everything's pretty pretty retirement based or service based. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say when you guys first moved up there, and I came to see you, and for, for those people listening, Trey and I have been friends for. I don't know, twenty years maybe. Twenty years, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. When did you when did you guys move up to to from Vero to Titusville? Yeah, it's been over over ten years ago, um, and it was you know a bit of a process. It took when we moved into here, we, it was probably a two year. We had to put a new roof on the building, and so it was a two year situation. And of course, this is right after you know nine eleven, so we were we were in pretty full swing production. So we actually set up a secondary manufacturing before we even pulled the plug on one machine down there. Were pretty full, fully operational before we even unplugged those those machines and brought them up here. Um, yeah, that's we cool. Were, we, I know you. You guys were the old Tomahawk missile factory too, and your dad even told me that the paint job inside was a million dollars. So for people uh, to understand, like going to Knight's Armament right now, 
is if you live in a major city and you go to a mall, Knight's Arm, it's like twice that big. Um, it's, it's incredible. You take golf carts to ride around in it. That's how big it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I always, we, we joke about that. It's like I always <clears throat> miss the small shop days, you know, of being able to, you know, do a drawing on a napkin or a piece of paper and not having to, you know, all the ISO process, everything. It's just, it's a big hindrance to, you know, kind of slows you down. But we're, we're kind of that in between a small and a big company. You know, if, if we, 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 we have a, an industrial, you know, uh, military industrial complex that we can satisfy the needs of the U.S. military. If they said, hey, we need, 50,000 of those a month or 20,000 of those months, we got the capability to build that and have it in house. So that's pretty rare to have your own supply chain that, that, you know, that, uh, that, uh, focus for, you know, for that type of product. My only people in house buy the components from different people and assemble them. Whereas we pretty much, even our barrels, everything's built in house. Um, well, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I, that's I remember meeting, uh, the guy who left the barrels and he looked like, uh, you know, crab man or whatever with the one giant arm, barrels. <laughs> but you know, you know, something that's special to me about nights that a lot of people aren't going to understand, you know, you guys aren't Daniel defense. You're not making AR 15s and painting them new colors and thinking you're innovative. Although Marty Daniel, you and I may disagree on personally has built a really good, company for himself and that's that's great for him um but you know i fell in love with knight's armament and h&k a long time ago in the late 80s um but most people a lot of you have not even probably heard of knight's armament and uh, especially millennials but knight's armament started making stuff for special operations back in like 1980 and, um, you know, some of the first, like, probably the first silencer contract in the history of this country of any size, uh, with the silencer for the M16A1, and then the snap-on for the Beretta for the Air Force, and just a lot of cool things early on, working as soon as SIL Team 6 started, working with them and Dick Marcinko, who were those were the Red Cell books, and, uh, you know, your dad's told me a really good story about, uh, Dick Marcinko having dinner with him and, and your aunt, which I want to, I want to get into in a second. But that's kind of the history of Knight's Armament. Trey, do you guys, do you even know how many national stock numbers and that's NSN for the military you guys have right well, now? Yeah, you know, you get, you get a bunch of them when you have like a weapon system. So every single component in there, you know, gets one. So, you know, um, no, I don't, I don't, I don't. That'd be a good thing to kind of know. You know, it, it's it's funny because you and I in an earlier conversation talking about, you know, innovation in firearms and, and, and me saying, you know, how much I've admired your father and, um, you know, the company your family's created. Uh, but, you, know, Kevin, you don't have to kiss. You don't have to kiss his ass. He's not going to ever listen to this. So you don't. You, you don't. Really do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'd be the first to tell your dad to fuck off, too. But, no, yeah, I yeah. do. and. You know, it's it's one of the companies that I really admire. But, you know, your dad and the rest of you guys, it's really evolutionary. And I think some of us kind of understand that. And you spoke earlier about the metallic cartridge and being so dated. And you're right. It's like 150 years old. You know, and we've had John Browning and Eugene Stoner in this industry, you know, and, and you guys had the privilege, I think, of working with him for, what, like 10 years before he passed away? Yeah, I mean, obviously the connection, and we, I've talked about this in some other interviews pretty extensively, but obviously the connection with Gene Stoner goes back to the beginning of the company. Um, my dad, 
you know, found a, a Stoner 63 barrel somewhere at a gun show, and I started the whole thing. I said, well, what's this do? And, uh, you know, of course, this is back when you could buy machine guns. And, um, you know, he picked up the telephone. He started buying those parts and got a gun together and whatever. He picked up the telephone and called Team Stoner out of the blue, you know. And uh, he ended up giving him all the rest of the spare parts and all the tooling for the Stoner 63 because that stuff was just going to be trash. It was all up in Ohio. Um, and so then, obviously, my dad's connection with that gun is kind of on him some of his first gigs with the SEAL teams because they had some of those weapons that were in disrepair. They'd mixed up 63s and 63s. He kind of got them, got them working for, got those guns being, you know, working for him. That, and that started his relationship as far as, as far as building stuff as opposed to just kind of selling them stuff. We were, we had a law enforcement company and we were selling them, you know, ammunition, kind of conventional small arms, things like that, you know. Um, but yeah, the connection, there wouldn't be obviously a Knights Armor Company without, uh, you know, the mentorship and relationship between Gene Stoner and my dad, um, for sure. Uh, it's, it, you know, of all the people, I, we always say that, like, you know, what would, what would Gene do? You know, what would Jesus do thing? It's like, you know, so many things. It's like, you would love to have him around to ask him questions about stuff. Why do you do this like this? Or, you know, he just had that natural mechanical ability and so much experience with these, you know, these issues with small arms design, you know, magazines and guns and bolts and pressure and, you know, all this. All those problems that you know that he just had an innate ability, number one, and then it's so much experience in, in doing that type of stuff. You know, like I said, I really have always said kind of small arms as far as the mechanical actual weapon has probably peaked as far as around a metallic cartridge has peaked a number of years ago. You know, um, you look at the chain guns and machine guns and stuff that you know companies like General, you know, General Dynamics had to build because there really was not even a gun company that could build that type of stuff. Um, you know, they have problems making some of that stuff today, some of the barrel processes, some of the things. It's, you know, it's almost lost, a lost art, so to speak. Um, we've moved so much yeah. to computers, you know, black boxes. Yeah, well, Jesus, don't get too far ahead. Um, I mean, you're right. I, I, I do believe everything peaked a long time ago. And, you know, it's funny, like I saw something the other day with a commercial silencer company saying, you know, the most popular rifle silencer of all time. And I just chuckled because I'm like, you sold a fraction of what the Knight's Armament, you know, M4QD or whatever it ended up being called, the stop mod yeah. silencer sold. Um, you, you know, and, and Knight's has been doing silencers since 1982 or before and um, sold, sold them to the military. Uh, you know, I have some that I got commercially. Um you know, this isn't new to you guys. Um, well, I, I think our silencers is typically that gateway, you know, uh, that gateway accessory that people kind of start building before they, if they, you know, don't transfer into firearms. Um, you know, you had so many people back then in that time period. You think about, oh, you know, um, AWC where Doug worked. You think about even people like John, like, like Senior, you know what I mean, that were building suppressors back then. Um, but we were, you know, kind of one of the companies that made that transition into actually building building guns, you know, um, or building something more than suppressors or, you know, developed our, our accessory line beyond that. Um, you know, and suppressors, especially back then, I'm not saying they're not overly complex. I mean, you know, but they are, it's definitely, uh, especially back then, it's build it and try test it type thing. It was a really kind of grassroots karate type industry. Um, yeah, well, I, when it's, when I, I never... 
I could have never believed that that, 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 that the industry would support that many co- companies making them. But then when you realize that, hey, people can't buy machine guns anymore, this is an NFA product that people can actually produce and sell, I think that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, well, you talk about complexity. It's funny because I get questions every day on our social media about silencers. And, you know, you, you guys are like the original, you know, you guys are OG with silencers of people who are currently, you know, around because what what is that, like 40 40 years ago or something almost. Um, yeah. You guys have been making silencers. But, you know, I've been making silencers for 20 years. And some of you are like, what's your sound rating compared to this? And, you know, it's like you you were singing this song way before me. And, like, to me now, I just laugh. It's like yeah. some new company wants to challenge me. It's like the things that I have forgotten over the last 20 years, if you just start making silencers, I will kick your ass every day of the week and twice on Sunday. <laughs> like, you know, whether it's accuracy, point of impact shift, durability, back pressure, like, what are we going for? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think you it's know, like the mounting system. We've come so for full circle on the mounting system. You and I both have talked about having a can that's durable enough to just be on the gun all the time, and you don't have to deal with the mounting. You know, the the, the obviously you got patent issues, intellectual property issues. You got that's you know typically where you're going to cause some point of impact or or any, anything's going to go wrong. It's going to be with the mount usually. Um, plus, you got a user installing it, so. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I yeah, I think we all kind of agree on that. Like the mounting yeah. system doesn't really matter to me anymore because I'm with you. It's like it should be used all the time. And mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about intellectual property, like I can't imagine what you guys have. But, uh, you know, I had some kids that started a company a couple of years ago send me some messages on Instagram the other day, um, you know, sort of challenging me a little bit. And I'm like, you know, I've, I've got over 50 patents. And I'm 44 years old, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like I'm just getting started. I've done five percent of what I want to do, and like, yeah, good luck to you. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you, you, I go, mean, you gotta foster, you gotta foster that interest, and in, you know what I mean. I love to see. I mean, you think about we are, the joke is like you're not a real gun company until you have a former Knights Armor Company employee there. Um, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and it's like at, at a certain point, it's like you know, obviously we're at a point. Our company's at a point where. I guess secure is, is, is maybe the word, but I love to see other people be innovative and be excited about this industry. Um, you know, and you, without those, you know, future generations, it's, it, it gets lost, you know? So, um, I do think, well, I, I, love I, think I love the innovation. I love the innovation. There's just two people stealing everybody's stuff, man. You know, that's, that, that, that's just kind of wasn't the deal back then. There's kind of like a, a rule of honor, you know what I mean, about whether it was patents or not, you know what I mean? You just didn't screw with other people's stuff. And I think that that kind of got lost a little bit. I don't know if it's like the freeware, music sharing, you know, everything should be free generation or what, but um, yeah, I would like to see people push it a little further than they than they maybe are. Um, you well, know, are, are you I, something I other than just marketing? Innovation-wise, you know, I think, like you said, your dad's been – and your your family and y'all's company, you know, you guys have evolved so many things when you talk about accessorizing the AR, and it sounds really stupid when you say it like that, but this was a really new thing back in the 90s, and your family did it. And, you know, when you start talking about you guys did flip-up sites for the AR, now I look at them, and I see the FG42, and I'm like, that's brilliant, a way to take that, make it better, put it on the M16, 
And now when you talk about companies selling product, you know, every gun that's sold in the U.S. military probably, every M16, every branch has Knight's Arm at flip-up sights on it. And yeah, it was a good, that was a good product. You know, you go you, to talk about that for a second. I don't think everybody understands, like, the standardization of the 1913 rail, rail, whatever you want to call it, that really did change all industry. And I'm not just saying for AR-15s, but I remember, I remember when yeah. Glock, Glock finally went to a 1913 rail and it was just like, holy shit, you know, this is, this is for real now. Once you have H&K and, and companies, European companies like that adopting that standardized system, that's just, that really changed everything. Because all these sites, lasers, whatever, you can move it from product to product. I mean, you remember going in a gun store and, like, you want to mount your scope and you have to get out the big Redfield box, find the right base, find the right screws. And, you know, mounting a scope was like a gunsmith thing, you know. Um, yeah. So I think that that standardization of AR-15, it's like small box heavy. Not everybody to be Mr. Gun Builder, you know, they call it the Barbie doll or whatever, but that, that, that took it away from the gun store going in and get the gun work done by gunsmith and allow these guys to do the stuff in their, in their house or in the garage. So I'm ho- hoping that, that that generation of people will, you know, evolve beyond bolt and billet parts on a, on a, you know, 60, 70 a year old design rifle. Um, you would hope. Uh, but it's just hard to do anything new. You look at the firearms, you know, historically and, it's all just been done before, you know. I, I always, you know, I always, you know me. I'm Mr. Case Telescope, and I'll sit there. And oh yeah. Anywhere you give me a spot. So, if we want to move forward, we got to move forward with the ammo, the guns. You got to change the cartridge. You got to change the cartridge, man. In case yeah. Case well, Telescope's I mean, the deal. Yeah, I mean that that is is possibly the future. And I hear you, and I completely 100 percent agree with. We have to change the cartridge if we want guns to really evolve. Now, I want to say a couple things. From my standpoint, that have really changed our industry from Knight's Armament, maybe give people an idea. First of all, silencers, you know, and that started with Special Operations, SEAL Team 6, Army Special Operations, um, you know, a group in the Air Force. Uh, Knight's Armament was first there in this modern generation. Um, you know, I don't want somebody send me some message telling me higher maximum sold 100 silencers to the Army for the 03 Springfield for Blackjack Pershing chasing Poncho via, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah, we got it. But, you know, since 1980, Knight did that, did silencers, did the stop mod kit for the AR, which put rail systems on it, put a vertical grip, put all these things on it that made it where you could adapt things to your weapon, which was very innovative. Did the Stoner 308 base guns with Eugene Stoner, not a hack job. Eugene Stoner worked there, and we got the SR-25, the M110, into the military. Um, you know, the Mark 11 uh, for the Navy or for SOCOM, which, you know, you and I have got so many buddies that use that gun successfully in this latest war, which has been great. You know, silencers for that gun. Um, God, I, I don't even know. The flip-up sights for every soldier. Scope mount. Um, yeah, night vision is probably the, the biggest legacy, well, you know, probably, as far as national game changer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm getting the to in- now, the inline night vision that you guys are doing. That's exciting to me. So so tell me something about that. All right. So the thing is, what you don't understand is there was no rail there. So we were doing, you know, like we talk about my dad's typical innovations were – Delivering a product that was kind of the standard, which at the time it was a Simrad scope and that scope would mount above your day scope. So when you put that on the gun, you had to change the dope by the, 
difference of the center line between those two scopes, those six inches or whatever, whatever it was. So, but it was all of a sudden you had this Picatinny rail in front of your day scope. And my dad said, well, why can't we just put the, put the night scope up in front of there? And of course, all the smart people told him that wasn't possible. And that's just, you know, go, go back to your, you know, go back to your garage, you know, redneck gun guy where they built this smart stuff for us. And, um, we, we developed the ability to, to have that sight go in front of the day scope and not change the point of impact shift. And it is, it's pretty fancy, you know, um, but it was one of those things that, like, my, Gene Stoner should say the same thing too. He says, thank God I didn't go to engineering school because I would have never tried all half the stuff that I tried to do because I would have been told that that wasn't possible or you can't do that. So I think that that kind of like informal yeah. education is what <laughs> allows my dad to kind of reach out there and try to do things that maybe well, don't, don't yeah. seem quite possible. Well, I, you know, I'll agree with that. Like, I don't have an engineering degree, and I saw someone criticize me online for it the other day, which I laughed because I just read your comment about Eugene Stoner saying that. That guy didn't go. You know, and I see that with your dad, too. It's like, okay. Totally. So we only have so much room. That makes the gun bigger, heavier. You don't get a cheek weld. Your dad was a competitive shooter, you know, and Eugene Stoner was as well. And then you think about, okay, what's the right way to do this? Put it in front of your scope? It seems dumb. But it's wonderful because you have your day scope. You just clip something on in front of it at night. Shoot shit, you take it off. And all you got to do is put yeah. a little rail set up there. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah well, but I guess what I'm trying to say is it's, it was just kind of, I think the thing that gets lost is not only did he come up with the real estate or the space to put that, that, those devices, but then kind of brought those devices to table. And now every company makes a new line type thermal for everything, everything you can imagine. And, you know, really, those are the things that have changed the gun. The gun is the same, you know, as an AR-10 built in the in the 50s. You know, some 70 years ago, you put a rail system and a silencer on that gun, and shit, that gun will go to town. You know what I mean? Um, oh so yeah, I mean, like, we both know. You know, I mean, I remember a few years ago with a group that we worked with, where someone was shot over 1,300 meters at night with, you know, a, a thermal scope on a 16-inch 308. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's obviously it, it changes capability, especially when you're fighting in, the, in an environment that has a mirage, um, that, that you actually can typically be so much more effective at night. And then, of course, you have the cover at night. So, um, that is probably one of the biggest, the biggest game changers that's happened in, in all the industries is, is, you know, the target acquisition stuff. And that's where the, con- that's where you're going to continue to have, uh, the big changes, you know, um, that there's going to be other. I agree with that. I think it's, I think it's optics and ammo the last 10 years have come so far. Um, well, uh, well, let's move on from there. What do you think, so in, in the industry, let's say commercially or the military side, if you want, what's, uh, you know, what's the innovation or where's their lack of innovation? Either way. Uh, well, again, I mean, I think, I really think, I really think, I think we got to change the cartridge to go anywhere with the guns. Um, and I, again, I think it's optics, optics and electro optics and electronics. Those are, those are the real things that are actually changing the, the, the capability of, of the user. You know what I mean? The other stuff. Oh, oh yeah. Nice oh, I got a rail. Oh, it's a little more ergonomic. Oh, this, you know, stock's got five, ten positions, you know. So those are just kind of like, those are like power seats in a car. You know what I mean? Whereas, yeah, uh, they don't, they, they don't really change the performance of the vehicle. It's, um, whereas, you know, night vision, that's more like fuel injection. You know, you've, you've taken this internal combustion motor and now you've 
put a computer on it. So they're going to be, there's going to be great advances in that. That's, you know, obviously we, our night vision company, we, we've had a huge success with the PVS 30. Um, that's kind of a long range, um, I squared device. And you've got new tube technology, white phosphorus tubes, but there's just a lot of new technology that once it's able to, once you're able to deal with the power issues, you know, it's kind of power supplies. But what's interesting is, you know, where a lot of that technology has come from is cell phones and TVs. So it's, it's an example where these commercial <laughs> products have actually driven the military market, which in the past it would be the opposite. You know, that, that technology would filter down from government to commercial. But now because there's so much money in the phone business, um, that those displays and batteries and things like that, those innovations are really happening in that industry. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, look at the phone. Hold up, hold up, hold up. So for everyone listening, I-squared um, is basically night vi- traditional night vision magnifying ambient light where thermal is, you know, recognizing heat signature. So go ahead. Yeah, and there's other stuff, too. There's all kinds of other sensors. There's other, other all, all, a host of other stuff that's out there. So I'm just going to be able to blend those different, you know, images from different sensors or optical devices and lay them over top of each other. You can take information from other things and add to it. So there's, you know, this the, the yeah, augmented well, reality well, revolution is going to happen soon too. Wait, 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 let's stop again. So basically, for most people have not used night vision or thermal. So from my layman's perspective, which will be different from yours, which maybe will be easier to understand for most people, is night vision is you know usually the black and green. It gives you very good resolution. For instance, for hunting, you can see deer antlers where there's no blood, but with thermal, it picks up anything with heat, so you can't hide from it, but it won't pick up great detail that's cool, like antlers or things like that. So the best case is having a combination of the two. For instance, if we're out hunting pigs and there's five of us, one of us will have a thermal because it picks up heat, and you'll have an IR laser on the bottom of it to where if you see a pig, you can hit it with the IR laser, then night vision can see that IR laser, and see it more clearly because a lot of times if a, if an animal or an individual were standing still and there's brush or something behind them and it's just I squared or traditional night vision where you're magnifying ambient light, you can't see, you don't detect something quickly. Um, where thermal make with the heat makes it stand out very quickly and you can. Yeah, uh, target detection, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for for hunting application, it's got some it's got some things for law enforcement applications. The typical I squared devices are better because you can have you can you know you can ID uh, an individual where you can't tell facial features and things like that from a thermal. So there's applications for both. And um, well, you know you look at the I squared stuff and it's intensifying. It's extremely old technology. Um, it's analog. Oh yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, you know, and, and that's one of those things. Like I had to have like seven lot smarter than people and me explain it to me and I still don't totally understand it. But in the process <laughs> is that they build the they build those tubes is insane. It's like glass rods that they stretch like taffy and fold over almost like Damascus or something to build those to build those tubes. It's uh again, like, you know, just three, four companies in the whole world that can do it. Um it's definitely a very special Yeah. Well that's cool. So, yeah, that's definitely a future of our industry. I think it's becoming very obvious in the commercial market. But let's let's uh, switch gears again. Um, how right. old? How old were you when you started working with your dad? 
Um, you know, I, I would go to shooting matches with my dad when I was really young, probably under 10, like, you know, eight, eight years old or so. And I'd go sit and watch his matches and watch him shoot. Um, I can remember, huh, I've spent years of my life sorting brass. I can remember, I don't know if I should say this, but I, I loaded the, some of the original hush puppy ammo, you know, back then. So he stuck me on the star loader and I sat there and loaded, loaded ammo. <laughs> Back at a young yeah. age, you know, uh, I can yeah, remember. I, think, I can remember. Link, I can remember linking ammo and not knowing there was another part to it. Like you could go shoot it. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, the cool part was linking it. Hey, speaking yeah. of that and the hush puppy ammo, I want to tell a story that your dad told me. What it about, if you want? So, Building uh, Six was established as a you know kind of a counter terrorist sort of special operations unit within the SEAL team back around 1980. And Dick Marcinko was the guy chosen to kind of establish it and recruit. Um, and he was a Navy SEAL, and he was a super badass. But, I mean, now, you know, every other Instagram page is someone being a badass. This was like the original badass of, you know, I don't know, from the 70s. Uh, he, he was he was the first person to go public with it. I was just say that. There was yeah. lots of badasses, man. Yeah. There was lots yeah, of badasses. Yeah, Alvin York, World War One, But, um, yeah. So there were all these books 20 years ago that most millennials probably won't recognize, but called Red Cell and a bunch of Tom Clancy stuff. Was it Tom Clancy? Who did those? No. Uh, you mean, what are you talking about, the video games, or are you talking about the, the book? Tom Clancy is Tom Clancy. Yeah, I I don't know. The Red Cell stuff, he, he had a ghostwriter for all that stuff, you know? Um, yeah. It was, it was so the first all... kiss and tell, you know? I mean, that was, that was yeah. super taboo, you know? You kind of, yeah, I mean talk about and i mean obviously lots of other people have written books and you know probably some you know some, some positive things and people telling stories and coming out but you know that's just taboo yeah you know? well, I mean, it's the quiet professionals yeah. you know you don't you don't do that yeah and we probably sound ignorant now but it's mainly because it's been so long we've forgotten but you know marcinko ended up going to prison and everything um but a really interesting guy and he did still team six and he was crazy as fuck and he helped to do a lot of great things for the special operations community, I still believe. But I remember one day, you know, your 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 dad was was a huge vendor to them. And he was telling me one day we're hanging out down in Florida. And your dad says, you remember, he says, one time Dick Marcinko came down here with a bunch of dudes from his team. And they were picking some stuff up. And we all go to dinner. And I take, you know, Trey's mom. And I take, you know, her sister and my brother-in-law and, like, all these seals. And we go out to this <laughs> restaurant there in Vero. And, and they're all getting drunk as shit and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he says, you know, I'm sitting next to my brother-in-law. And, you know, Dick Martinko eases down the table. And he's sitting next to my sister-in-law. And he's hugging up on her, you know. And after a few more drinks, he's kind of kissing on her and stuff. And, and. He's like, you know, Kevin, my brother-in-law says, hey, I think he's trying to, to fuck my wife. What should I do? <laughs> he's like, I don't know. If I were you, I'd let him fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not happening. It, you know, so the yeah. thing was, is like those guys would come, the Secret Service would come and train down here. So it's, that they obviously, you know, when you had these guys, and this is like pre-steroids, so you had these guys that were They'd look like football players or whatever, you know, and uh, they'd, they'd be around and it would, you know, they were obviously in a small town there when these guys would be down. But the Secret Service, we might have had a full 50-yard range in his backyard. They were trained during the summer down here. 
that's actually how my dad started to meet a lot of these groups was from competitive shooting because a lot of those groups had shooting teams. So he would he would compete with them and you know, he did quite well. And so then they'd come down and either train with him or, or whatever. But yeah, you can imagine um, just those kind of guys in a small town in in, in Florida. Um, they, they weren't exactly discreet, I guess would be the best word to describe it. But Yeah, well, you know, there wasn't social media. There wasn't widespread news coverage, all that. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, let me ask you a few more things. What, um, mm-hmm. in your mind, so, I don't know, how old is KAC now? Like, close to 40 years old. Well, yeah. What, and more successful than ever. What makes KAC so special? What, what have you guys done correctly? Um... Uh, I'll tell you this: luck is 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 a piece is a piece of it. Being at the right place at the right time, and I can't I can't tell you, you know, like the rail system specifically that particular product. And you know, we almost didn't have that, but that that turned us into a big company. Um, what's the number one thing that makes Nice Armor Company? Reed Knight Jr. You know, uh, his his commitment, his you know what he does. You can't buy that, can't fake that. You know. Yeah, I mean, some of the comments that your dad has made to me, which I find hilarious, which I won't repeat, but that kind of show your dad's position, you know, like, I've always loved your dad, and he's always treated me really good, and, um, you know, your family's very special to me, but your dad, knowing, you know, your dad has really been the individual who has made the biggest company, made the biggest impact in the industry, which is really important to me, and on current innovation, and made the most money, and he's done it on his terms. And, um, you know, I just really admire him for it. And, it, it, you know, it's just so funny, some of the comments he'll make when I'll ask him questions about this or that, you know, kind of how he views himself. And to know at his age now, like, I don't know, I was at a 66th birthday party, so he's got to be 70 or so. Yeah, and he's over he's, 70. Yeah, and he's still like the same old oh, hard-ass, bad-ass, oh, hard-charged. He, he ain't stopping. Yeah. He ain't stopping anytime soon, man. He, uh, he's, 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 he's full bore, you know? Um, yeah, that's, and that's, knowing the passion, that, man, anybody that has a passion like that and works in an industry long enough and has time, if they don't succeed, they're doing something all right. Obviously, my dad's a good businessman, so I think that that's always been a, a big part of it. Um, because yeah. there's a lot of smart dudes out there. There's a lot of guys that were, you know, innovative or whatever. You know, you go back to, um, you know, generations like, uh, talk about like Dick Swan or you talk about um, Seaburger, you know, some of these guys that were in that same time period, but just didn't make it, so to speak, to that next level. Um, and it's just, you know, just gets working 70, 80 hours a week, or whatever he does and all the, you know, everything else, living, breathing and eating what he, what he does. Um, so I think if anybody that's that passionate, I think it's a great little kind of, you know, an example. And I think he has inspired a lot of people in industries like yourself. That they yeah, they work hard enough, they come up with some good ideas and they work hard. They can do it too, you know. Uh, that's always one of my favorite jokes when I'm going, you know, doing a demo or whatever. And he says, "Well, it's you know, comparing us to to uh, you know whoever HK." And by the way, HK is like you know, same as you. That's the company I always looked up to, Jim Shots and that company. As far as like, that's the kind of company you wanted to be, but. My joke yeah. is, you know, somewhere somebody says something, you know, well, what, what about this and this or whatever? I said, well, why don't you call Mr. Heckler or Mr. Cock and come over here and talk to you about it? So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that that being a person, a single person that's responsible, that my name's on the side of the gun, that, you know, shit's going to be right. Um, 
you know, and that's, it's, it's me. It's a person. It's a person you can pick up and, and, and call and talk to. Um, it's very difficult for yeah. to make that transition to the next generation. I've spent the time and learned about like Beretta, you know, and what amazing, even Fiocchi, um, you know, is a, is a long standing family yeah. company. Um, both Italian, ironically, but the way that they've managed to succeed in it, I went and visited Fiocchi, and if you are in the Fiocchi family and you want to work in the factory or work in the company, you got to work night shift for the first year on the production floor. Weed you out, you know. They said people show up with the briefcases. Okay, I'm out of college. I'm ready to be a businessman. Like, okay, night shift, one year. Um, so I think that that's that's kind of an interesting way. Well, to- I would uh, I would say your dad's really put you guys through that. But you know, I, I would say too. You, you know, it is, it is so interesting that your dad. You know, your dad's got nice cars and he has some nice things. But, you know, he probably, he still generally looks like he gets his clothes at Target. And, <laughs> Walmart, yeah. Yeah, and it's so cool. Like, your dad, just knowing him personally, like, doesn't give a fuck about most things. But, like, he wants to be the best, and he's not gotten in his position by cutting corners, by being the lowest bidder. And it's so easy for me to admire being a part of a couple of big gun companies at this point where at the end of the day they're going to cut corners to win contracts mm. they're going to yeah. cut costs you know you know the sig 320 is a great gun the glock is a great gun sig probably i don't know probably got the contract by cutting glock's cost by a hundred dollars for the new yeah Army crazy Congress. that they can make that thing for 200 crazy yeah, you know, and they're basically gambling on the spare parts would be my opinion, you know, over the next 20 years. Where if I worked at Nike Garment and knowing your father and I brought that to your dad and said, hey, we're going to sell this for cost and we're going to make all this <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a very long meeting. Yeah, it's not, very long yeah meeting. he was going <laughs> the taste out of my mouth. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and he's been more successful than all these companies, which is so easy to admire. He's done a lot of innovative things. This is what I always, when people ask me about your company um, and what you guys do and how it's successful, it's very easy for me to explain to people. And it's like what I strive to be. They don't look at a military contract and cement product. They look at what they want in 10 years from now and build that and take it to them and tell them that's what they want. And that's like the greatest position to be in. That's probably the biggest thing I've learned from your father. But, you know, I think it takes a really rare individual to be able to do that. And, you know, you guys have been able to develop products that are 10 years out and telling the military that's what they need, kind of like Steve Jobs, rather than, you know, answering solicitations necessarily. That's the way. Yeah, I that's, view that's, that's when it that's when it works. You know what I mean? Or you go to them <clears throat> with an idea, and then they say, "Oh, that's a cool idea," and then they put out the requirement and invite everybody to your party and like give them a year to compete with you. You know, so it, sometimes it works, yeah. sometimes it doesn't. Um, yeah. You know, like we were just talking about the pistol. Do you really think the military needs that's the best thing to spend money on? Like, is that really going to increase the soldier capabilities to have a sidearm? How often do we even use a sidearm? You know. Um, well, I, I told someone the other day. What they should have done was just taken sidearms from every soldier. That would have saved yeah. all the money. And been better. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what, like, what What has there been a big <laughs> innovation, you know what I mean? It's like, what's, as far as moms, you know, they went, they're, go, they're using a magazine-fed gun for a, for a, you know, for a, in place of belt. I just, you know, you're not seeing a lot of stuff. Like, obviously, 
not to go back to case telescope, but the LDAP program, um, which is, you know, in 10 years or so, like, where are those guns? Why are those guns are, years? you know, closer to being fielded? 10 years they've been working on just that program, you know? So, um, I would have said it's, it's older than that, you know? Uh, um, oh, the technology, though, yeah. I'm just telling you that that exact program, the LSAT program itself, has been going on that long. Which that's a, that's yeah, a, I mean, it, it, to me, it seems like 20 years. Like, yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, it's bullshit. Well, <clears throat> well um, they, they should have gone and they should have made, you know, however many 10 million rounds of ammo and given it to whoever, given it to frickin' HKA offense, you know, whoever, whoever could demonstrate that they that they had the ability to come to the party, they should have given them a million rounds in two years and said, okay, we want a gun, you know? Um, just I a lot of times they just, a lot of times they don't give industry quite enough time to respond to some of the stuff if it's out there, or they just ask for shit that's just stupid. You know, they take they take ten different guns and they end up with a. Always my joke is like you end up with a with a dump truck station wagon sports car. You know, you want to make it one thing do everything, and then it's a piece of shit. It does nothing well. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, and I don't want this all to be about your dad. Like, I've known you for a long time, and, um, you know, I won't speak to your brothers, but I know your contributions to our industry, and it's always overlooked because, you know, it's your dad's company. Um, I think it always will be, you know what I mean? What's no, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. It's, 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 yeah, but it's, but it's party, you, you know? In, yeah, but, you, you know, whether you talk about, like, the the – yeah, the, the revision of the snap-on silencer for the Berettas or the DEA upper with a 9mm silencer or your part in the LMG, you know, which is the new well, LMG. You know, you and I have been talking about that. God, the owner dies. So, yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I've almost grown. That That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, you can imagine meetings at nighttime with companies sitting around the table with, you know, various people and my dad discussing things. Um, but I've, there's a very few programs that I've come close to drawing blood in a meeting over, and that's obviously one of them I've always been pushing to put that gun into production, even without a contract. It's just expensive. So the LMG, what, what's the yeah, it's, it's, so, yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's obviously, you know, a gun that we've had for a long time. So obviously, you know, yeah, as a company, you're, 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 you're fighting for your causes, you know, so a lot of times you like, you get, uh, you, like your own designs or certain things that you kind of push. You know, I won't say selfishly, but you, you know that you can, that you want to do, or especially stuff that you've worked on. But the LMG is just one of those guns. Proud of. Well, that's What's where that? I'm really proud of you. I just say things that you're proud of. Well, I will say, yeah. you know, because you're going to portray it as your dad did everything. But I know you've been pushing that project for a long time, and I think correct me because I'm going to be wrong. You know, Stoner um, submitted that to the military. Or a yeah, yeah, it was submitted version. twice. Okay, back during the Saul trial. Um, yep. the, the 249, the FN gun, the Minimi. Yep. Um, so. And then it competed against the Parasaw as well, and it, uh, it, that, 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 it didn't win that time either. But yeah, well, it's, it's, okay. it's gone up against what's, that gun twice. Well, what's new about it? And what's different? And what's better? But it's just, it's, it's, it's like, it, again, it's just, it's the way it fires, the way it shoots, it's controllability, weight. You know all the all those things. Um, it's, well, what's it weigh compared to the two forty nine? Uh, I think it's it's like nine pounds. You know what I mean? I think that that uh, we're saying that the seven sixty two version is going to be under fourteen pounds. 
So, and, and um, what, what what's the Mag fifty eight and the Minimi? The uh, twenty four pounds or whatever. Let me. I got the. I know Google. Our buddy, uh, our buddy's company, Chris Barrett, makes I think the titanium receiver version of that, which is crazy. A titanium receiver to reduce weight, but I don't know. I mean, I've got a two forty nine, but I got to imagine that thing weighs fifteen pounds, fourteen pounds. Yeah, I was going to say fourteen. It depends on the on the model and barrel profile. It's um, yeah. you know, again, it's one of those guns that when you shoot it, you you know the difference, you know. Uh, yeah, well, I saw your dad the other day in a seventy shooting it with one hand, maybe, or shooting it. Holding yeah, I mean, look at it. Yeah, it's twenty twenty two forty nine is twenty two twenty two pounds loaded. Uh, let's uh, see. Yeah, uh, you yeah, know, that's compared to, that reminds me of our new gun where we, you know, totally started from scratch with the bolt gun, considering the modern metallic cartridge or the old metallic cartridge. And we just started from scratch and put the sear in the bolt with the striker and did all these things. Didn't do a chassis. We did a unibody receiver, a buttstock, a foreign, and we've got a six-pound 308 gun that shoots, you know, half MOA, essential. Yeah, um, I mean, me and you always talk about light guns because we're sissies and we don't like to carry heavy shit around, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's easier to design than lift. Um, but no, I think it makes a difference, especially you know if we're if we're fighting, let's say if we're looking at the the um, military side of this, we're fighting in Iraq. It's one thing when you go to the Hindu Kush and dudes are like climbing and their elevation, like mm-hmm. weight is a, an incredible consideration. And why would you carry extra weight, or why would your gun be heavier than it needs to be? Like I don't understand that. If you're shooting, you know, a hundred targets in a day, maybe it could be one thing. But, you know, when, you know, you've got to take a few shots and... But well, I mean, think about, like, a, a PKM, man, you know what I mean? How that, oh, that, that well, yeah, compared to the another country, you know? Yeah, the, the PKM's probably, it's, that's the baddest machine gun there is, really, you know? Um, and look at how light it is. Look how light the tripod is and everything. I mean, that gun's, that gun's awesome, you know? I can remember Stoner yeah. was, was trying to get a PKM, you know what I mean? He couldn't get one in the country. Here you got the best designer in the entire world, you know what I mean? And he couldn't yeah. get a, a he couldn't get a PKM to look at, it, you know, when he couldn't get it in the country to even look at. It, it was just complete bullshit, you know? Um, oh, it's crazy. I mean, I know I've worked with, you know, some of the special operations groups just like you, and they will be working with them on a project. And this has happened more than one time. And they'll say, we want a blah, blah, blah that'll blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, the Soviets had that in 1982. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here's well, you don't even know, like, what they have that you don't. They're pretty good at keeping secrets, too. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've told you a lot about my visits over there. Some of the coolest things that I've been able to, you know, be fortunate enough to do. But I've, I visited Russia twice, you know, as a guest of Mikhail Kalashnikov and, you know, hung out with him and had dinner, you know, with him and got to spend personal time with him. It's just it's just cool, and then we got you know. Obviously, this is pretty. You know, I I probably like couldn't even go to the bathroom without my handler going with me wherever I went. But um, they you know we did get to talk to some engineers and see some stuff at some point in time over there. It was just real cool to, to to be able to really see firsthand the military complex that is that is that what Russia has. They got like you know whole cities and, and schools and you know that that are devoted to this. I can remember. Stoner talked about he went to China one time and he was giving a speech and to 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 a gun you know some kind of uh, design for him and 
he said, whatever, 19, you know, 63, I did this, and somebody raised their hand in the audience and says, uh, no, sir, you did that in 1964, you know. He knew more about, like, his own life than him. <laughs> and, they, and they joked about it. But later said, they got him, you know, started getting a couple of drinks and said, Mr. Stoner, you have to tell us where the secret school is where you train your American gun designers because there's no way that you guys could be, you know, so innovative without having some secret school, you know. And uh, I just got a kick, got a kick out of that. But that obviously, well, I, I mean, the gun industry's I, I, always been home, homegrown. You know what I mean? Even, even in the beginning, you know, look at, look at John Brown. Look at individuals and and uh, just innovation. You know, things that people can do well, to speak in their garage. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something because of passion and it's small and you can do it in your garage, which I think is fortunate. And that's kind of, you know, caused a couple of these individuals. And I still, John Brown and Eugene Stone are the two greatest gun designers we've had that we know about. Um, but, you know, it's like most things. I mean, the Soviet Union's accomplished a lot because essentially slave labor, in my opinion. It's just like whether it's the pyramids or, you know, when I went to school, when I went to school in Paris, you know, Notre Dame, and it took whatever, I don't even remember now, 300, 600 years to build it. It's like you can't build it. Yeah, generations and generations work on the same building. Yeah, because we don't have slaves. Like, you can't do that kind of stuff. And the Soviet Union's created a lot of cool things. And getting back to what I said, you know, like I told, I've told guys a couple of times because, you know, I'm, I still consider myself young, which I'm 44 and I'm not anymore, but I'll deal with these groups and they'll be like, blah, 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 we need you to design this. And I'm like, you don't have enough money for me to do that. Mm, However, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Soviet, the Soviet Union did it in 1983. Here's the model number. Go get one. Like, mm. There yeah. you go. Um, so yeah, they got some. Well, I just want to know like the stuff they got that you haven't seen. You know. Oh. oh like I remember, I remember Nikonov coming to the you know the A ninety four designer. He came to the United States. Oh, yeah. Um, and briefed Stoner on his gun and gave a big speech about it. And everything was really proud of it. And, you know, it's like yeah, look at how yeah. complicated I mean, it was. Um, yeah, you know, which everyone listening. You know, nobody's even going to know what that gun is. And that's a Soviet gun, which the idea was your f- first shot to cause the most trauma. So it's a 5.45 gun. And the first two shots are 1,800 rounds a minute, I believe. Trade. Yeah, hyperburst. Hyperburst yeah, is so, a real deal, man. That's a legit thing. Um, yeah, you know, so you think about like electric Two gun. bullets within like an inch of each other. So it's like three times the trauma. And then it slows down to 600 rounds a minute. It's got this pulley system in it. And it's an AK-based gun. It's so oh, yeah. freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's what it looks like to the common guy. Yeah, but, I remember um, Stoner telling Nick and I, said, well, what do you think of my gun, you know? And it was a big deal. He was, you know, super proud of it. <clears throat> Stoner was like, mm, I think he went to a lot of trouble to screw up the question call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Stoner, I remember, you know, my godparents were Max and Dorothy Atchison, which Max Atchison worked with Eugene Stoner in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Or maybe yep. the fifties, like very early on, he was also a gun designer and stuff. And you know the AA-12, which most people know it now, probably on like Call of Duty, the shotgun that's full auto. But Max did a number of things, and you know yeah, was like dude. a subordinate, was a subordinate to Stoner, but an engineer under him. And uh, and, and I don't remember the time where they were, whether it was a government or you know like fair, wherever they were, arm like now, I don't know, but. um Max was telling me they were like this conference one time and there was a general speaking and he was speaking about, you know, this was very early on. So this was probably Vietnam. 
and said things about the M16. And Eugene Stoner is in the audience, and Max is there, and he says some stuff, and it's not correct, and Max is like, you know, and and most of these real high-level engineers, as you know, have huge egos. Like, you know, you've got an ego. I definitely have an ego. Your dad has one, not even on the same fucking level. (laughs) And he says that he was scared to death because, you know, this is the military and who they're designing shit for. And this general says, blah, blah, blah. And Stoner's on the front row because he's going to be recognized for something. And Stoner goes, bullshit. Bullshit. And Max heard it right away. And he's like, oh, God. (laughs) You know, what did Gene say? And then the guy, you know, continues and Stoner goes, bullshit. You know, (laughs) in the middle of the thing. And the guy's like, excuse me. And he says, I'm saying what you're saying is bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, Max was a real hard ass, but he was totally scared of Stoner. And he's like, he just didn't play that. He's like, you know, what was, you know, white was white and what was black was black. And he had had an innate ability to, like, listen to a group of people. You know, and then he would listen to the whole thing, which was an amazing talent that I try to learn about all the yeah. time. Shut up and listen. Yeah. Um, and he would say one sentence and make everybody in the room feel like an idiot and prove his point, like in you know less than you know twenty words. And it would also yeah. encompass what everybody had been saying, wasting their time, running their mouths for you know however long. He was he was extremely frustrated. He was extreme. You know, imagine being indicted. Imagine like. You know, one of your silencers came off, and they took you. They bring you to court or something like that. You know, um, so yeah, he, had a real, that, he was real what, bitter about all that. That's what Max said was that he he was very bitter that he was was very jaded. He he was disgruntled. Um, but you know, I, the more you know, in my entire career, you've worked with a lot of brilliant people, whether it be you know your dad or Doug Olson or. You know, even Marvin or other people. I mean, shit, Uzi got. I mean, yo, oh, fuck yeah. And, yeah. You know, even in my career, which I've kind of taken a different path, and I hire young but really brilliant people. And you know, and I think you know, I'm not that smart of a guy, but I think I've got a pretty good track record. And you're a terrible um, dancer. <laughs> <laughs> even worse drinker. Uh, but, yeah. You know, like they just get fucking attitudes when you got brilliant guys that know something's right and someone wants to change it. And that's where I've learned to sort of like protect them from the military and a lot of these guys because you'll meet these guys and they're great at their job. And they, you know, it's like I remember this thing like I love Shaquille O'Neal because I think he's a brilliant personality and a smart guy. And, you know, and I'm not really in the sports, but he's always like, you know. I want to be a businessman, but I'm really an athlete who wanted to be a rapper. <laughs> Every rapper wants to be an athlete. Every athlete wants to be a rapper. He yeah, says, right. when I was young, I wanted to be a rapper. I was a great athlete. I didn't really care about it that much. And then as I got older, I wanted to be a businessman, which I'm good at now. <laughs> and he's yeah. Like, well, he's a cop down here, I think, isn't he? Or has a, has a badge down here or whatever. Yeah, he, he sure yeah. does. Um, oh, dude! Speaking of speaking of rappers, like, guess who I hung out with in Vegas this year at Shot Show. Ludacris, my kicking the, I was kicking it with Lil John, man. <laughs> Lil John, yeah, yeah, man, yeah, he's, he's totally cool, man. He hung out with him. He was playing at, at a hockey sun or whatever, and buddy of mine knows. He, he chilled he with was him. Playing yeah. you being a musician, that's funny. Well, well um, uh, he, he was singing, <laughs> playing <laughs> <No>. records, <laughs> playing disco <laughs> records. 
<laughs> you were drunk. So there's yeah. no way he was singing. Um, anyway. No, I got the video, bro. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> well, you know, let you know. Okay, we'll shift gears, so to speak, again. Um, well, you let know. me let me say this though. You talk about like what I've gotten to do with the company. So obviously, I, mean, I say this all the time. I would have never in a million years would I have been able to have this job if it wasn't where my birthright. You know what I mean? Um, sure. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't fucking dedicated enough. Any of that stuff. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's kind of like when it's all there and you still are interested in it, still, you know, get it, go to sleep at night thinking about these, these things and wake up thinking about them. And when it occupies that much of your, your brain activity in life, you know, it is, it is your life, you know. Um, but I'm super lucky, like, especially like, you know, managing people. It's something that, I mean, I've, right now I think I got maybe 40 to 50 people that directly report to me and, that's a huge skill, you know, and I would have never been able to get that skill without screwing up really bad a bunch of times, you know, and it's an expensive lesson, but it's not something you can learn and you can learn in school. Um, you know, I, my background was I was an art major, so being able to do all the marketing and, you know, doing like the lifestyle, the KC gear line and stuff, that was just cool, man. I did that. It's like, that was like, you know, my, my hobby almost here, or even doing the design for the museum spaces and all the, you know, some of the initial marketing for the museum. It's like, I do that just, just my spare time just for fun you know what i mean just because it's so so enjoyable so i've been really lucky to, to have these resources to, to be able to learn these lessons but um i've always been about the creative aspect of it so for a long, long time i was able to you know kind of be a final call or on as far as the aesthetic of, of a lot of the products so that they all kind of look the same uh, not that anything's right or wrong it's aesthetic so it's an opinion but you kind of have to have one chef you got ten chefs that starts to look like you know Mexican Italian food. So you um, being able to kind of control, you know, not control, but at least you have input to just the aesthetic of different products, having some control over what products would be launched. Um, you know, being in charge of marketing, so I could just stick it in the catalog, and then all of a sudden we're selling it. Uh, <laughs> um, those, those things. So you know, I, I was it's just super lucky that 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 I got to do that, and that's I guess that would be my my contribution. I always try to make the company look like those companies that are the big boys, you know, FN or whatever. And you look at like what they spend their advertising budgets. Shit, they probably spend more on like one thing than I my entire yearly budget. So I really try to have that that big boy look, but you know, kind of do it myself. Uh, I also learned like a long time ago that, and I'm super picky, you know, like you about design stuff and. You know, I could like move and type around or whatever, just to where it gets ridiculous. And I, I learned that you really want to have, you gotta have enough, you gotta have the people that are working for you have enough creative input <clears throat> that they're excited and they want to go to bed at night sleep, you know, thinking about it. Um, so you gotta give them a, you gotta give up a little control. And I learned that, <clears throat> you know, I can maybe I could play like, you know, I could play violin, but being the maestro or being able to to be able to control the whole orchestra is, is that's, 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 that's the cool thing. You know what I mean? And having a good team people, you know, it's like whole room of CNC machines out there and everything else, every piece of modern equipment you could think of, but it's, it's all worthless without people. Um, so that's just like, that's people skills is probably the biggest, biggest thing, man. Um, that's probably, yeah, that's well, I, I will say, I, 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 I'm going to interrupt and say you misspoke. Like I don't see you or I or, you know, even your dad is a manager. I think mm. you know we're kind of we're kind of leaders, and I've known mm. you long enough to know you're not having fifty people report to you exactly like in a typical management 
role, but, you know, you lead people. And I think, you know, it's inspiring. Like, you know, you and your brothers don't have to work. I mean, you know, you, you guys have done great. But to to see you and what you've done, the input that you have and that you have that. I mean, you know, it's something I wanted to segue into, you know, you and I could be friends just based on guns and that's cool. But, you know, you and I are friends because of other interests. You know, we love mm-hmm. art, we love design, we love all these things. You know, like you and I both like cars, but you and I both are horrible drivers and don't drive fast. Yeah. Dude, I'm an excellent driver. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's just out of practice. <laughs> you're, the, you're the worst fucking driver <laughs> under age. Yeah, the, yeah, I'm pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. so, but At least know, I know it, you know. But, you know, the thing is, you and I both recognize, okay, Ferrari makes great race cars and have wonderful technology. But the wonderful thing about Ferrari is they combine, like, beauty and yeah. style. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Italian, man. Italian's, like, yeah. the, 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 the king of design, you know. Uh, it's All this stuff's yeah. so beautiful. It's like the Lamborghinis, I always like the way they look. But, you know, coming to find out, technically, they're probably the least, you know, developed of all the stuff. That's out there. The car, if we're talking about cars, you know, there's such a similarity. My dad obviously started before he was into guns, was into car racing, and we have a big passion, you know, for, for automobiles. And I'm into, I've gotten into these hot rods recently, restoring old cars and building old Ford 32s and stuff like that. It's, I'm having a blast, man. And I'm, I'm, you know, you know how many hobbies or interests I've gone through or did I, did I, you know, whether it's playing music or whatever, but I feel like I'm like, you know, that feeling that you got when you were a little kid with matchbox cars. And, you know, I remember I used to take everything apart. Remember stompers, you know, like those trucks. And oh, yeah. I would, I would spray, I'd customize every freaking toy truck I ever had, you know, and it's like now I get to do it like in real life. And that's, 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 well, that's, I, I will, I will say, you know, my love for you being one of my best friends the last 20 years. Um, you know, and I, I said it in a previous podcast, I think with Chris Barrett, who's a friend of ours and who I love a lot and admire, and he and I aren't as close as you and I, but um, he's a super cool dude, which, you know, also, you know, Ronnie Barrett, recognizable, like Reed Knight started a company and Chris's passion kind of is different than Ronnie's and kind of being involved in the company. That's interesting to me, too. Um, oh, yeah. But seeing you, you know, you and I have similarities, like single dads, we got kids about the same age. But seeing you, you know, buy a house, tear the damn thing in half, (laughs) ridiculous, like design a house, your love for music, your love for guns, you know, your friendship and passion about, you know. Don't forget titties. Don't forget titties, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, we we have shared many nights in strip clubs. Yeah, no, man. women, but like music, design, art. Like, you, I mean, you know, yeah. Like, I just unpacked at my new house. You gave me twelve prints of uh, like a, a, a modern artist that does Star Wars stuff, and you know, I framed them about two years ago and haven't hung them up yet. And I just got moved into a new house, and I just unpacked them. I've got them all laid out in the middle of the floor. Trying to Dude, I'm staring at your bo- I'm staring at your bubble set picture that you that you drew for me yourself framed in my office sitting right here. So, yeah, oh, art's cool, man. Self expression's cool in general, man. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's what I get up for. Some people aren't into it, you know, and and I'm okay with that. Uh, I wish more people were into it. I wish, you know, more young people were into it. I think it's just, it's just a systemic problem with our education system. You know what I mean? People are just they're just not they're not 
our schools don't teach people to be creative. They don't teach people to go out there and make stuff with their hands. No. You know, tell them, oh, go take I'm business classes. I'm not even classes. sure. Like, I think to the level that you and I are creative, I don't think you can teach it. And I'm not saying we're so awesome. But I think you and I are exceptionally creative. No, people. but you can find people that have that skill, and then you can hone it. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's my problem. Like, with yeah. art school, it's such bullshit. Is like They're not teaching you how to paint. They're like, oh, you got to paint something offensive and you know, it's like, no, man, I don't, I'm not here for you to tell me what to paint or, you know, what's, what's my subject matter is. I want you to show me how to mix color. Or I want you to show well, me how yeah, to bend metal. I mean, modern you know? education is really politically biased and all these other yeah, things. Yeah, crap, man. You know, crap. I mean, it's so funny because you're educated, I'm educated, you know, from a traditional sense. And, um, you know, I always said I always said I'd rather take the money I spent that I spent, especially me. <laughs> my, my, I learned how to shoot pool and play guitar and can call it. But oh, I can get ketchup out of a bottle with a one hit too. That was an expensive <laughs> trick. Um, but yeah. uh, I would much. I'd rather, I feel like I'd just say, hey, can my kids like, here's here's a ticket around the world, man. Just go travel for four years. I feel like you know you you studied abroad. No, it's, oh but god, that's I, so I feel like you learn so much more from that than than from a, a traditional education. You know. Yeah, and well, you, you know, I went to school like abroad for three years, and um, I, I, you know, my three children and 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 my middle kid who's twelve is, um, you know, all my kids are brilliant, just like both your kids. My, you know, I'm dyslexic, and you know, I think like your dad and I probably share some of that stuff, um, mm-hmm. which you know, back then they didn't teach you even at my age, not much less your father's age, teach you how to learn like they can now they have programs for my son goes to a boarding school for dyslexia and they're you know um doing all this remediation with him which they didn't even have when i was there and you know i'm sure they just thought your dad was dumb and oh yeah now, yeah. Your dad, yeah yeah I, I remember basically I, he tells a story that his dad told him he better find a job that he likes because he was stupid and he was going to have to work all really hard to make a living you know so yeah and I, I think I think your granddad being a huge asshole was, was right. Your dad has worked really hard. But, yeah. You know, your dad didn't work hard to make a living. I mean, he built a dynasty. But, you know, like I see with my son and, you know, my youngest kid, my youngest girl, she's dyslexic as well, but not to the extreme as my oldest. But my middle kid, no learning differences, and she's brilliant, and school is easy for her. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking to her the other day and talking about different things in life, and she's really introspective and cool kid. And she's talking about what she wants to do and think, she asked me what I think, what, what I think she can do. And I was like, if I were as brilliant and beautiful as you, I would be the president. <laughs> what what you need I. to do, yeah, you need to travel because I got so much, you know, because I was educated by my parents in my local school. And my parents weren't educated. And when I went abroad, I learned that it's a big world and I can do anything in the world I want. It's like, that's what I want for you. You know, finish school. and Yeah, go see the world. You figure out what you want. Because, you know, just like you, I mean, both of us, like, um, you know, we've had different lives, but similar in a lot of ways. And we've both been exposed to money and success. And all we want every day is to be happy. To love going to work and we, you know, now being fathers, like we just both want our kids to grow up to be successful and happy. Like I don't give a shit what you do. Drive a beer truck, be in a ballet, be an artist, be an engineer. I don't give a shit what you do. Just do yeah, that's, that's a tough fun. situation. You know, it's, I know, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult balance between being able to be 
a real father and be around all the time and, and work as hard as you have to work, especially with travel. You know, I do way more travel than I want to do. And as I get older, it becomes more and more, you know, um, whatever, you know, fatiguing for me. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, birthday parties, a lot of, you know, baseball games and all that kind of stuff that my dad missed. So it's really, it's really important. It's really important to be there for your kids, especially at those certain ages. Because one of it's gone, it's gone. You know, I, I probably wouldn't have yeah. known my dad as well as I know him if I hadn't, if I hadn't, so to speak, come to work to see him. Um, yeah, I, I but, think that's good. You know, with my kids, like, uh, you know, I'll tell you the last couple of days. Two days, I let my son stay home on the weekend because of the Super Bowl. Uh, Monday morning at 4 a.m., I drove him to Vermont from New Hampshire to take him back to boarding school. I came back at... 2.30, I left work, and I went to pick my girls up from school to take them to private tennis lessons because they're into tennis right now. I did that. I took them home. I did homework. I did dinner. I put them to bed. You know, it's like that's my day every day. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And so I cut travel out because I'm like, well, you know, I can really innovate and create marketing and create a backlog, and then I don't have to travel and sell my stuff. Or I travel and push my stuff and do all these shows that we've always done, and I'm away from my family. And that was different when, you know, I was married to their mother. Um, but now I'm just like, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm yeah, going yeah. to. No, I, it's a luxury, though, for you to be able to do that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, it's yeah. funny. My kids, my son's super into military history and just history in general, you know. Um, yeah. He really, was mine. Like those, They're the same. Like, yeah, yeah, just like just like your son. Um it's like I really feel like, like you know, could never, you know, thinking of a, a military career for my son, you know, but he's got such an aptitude and such an interest for it. It's like I really want to look at, you know, obviously if he's still into it is getting him into West Point or getting him into a military school. Um, you know, I, I got some, we have some, you know, both of us have so many friends that are military and it's like, man, boy, do I wish somebody would have stuck me in the military for a little while when I was so yeah. dumb. And, you, know, <laughs> you, you and like, I probably would have. It probably would have benefited oh, both of us. Man, it's like, you know, those guys are just so, you, you know, leave it, you know, so many of them, you know, that just, they can just make you feel like such a piece of shit on a regular basis. You know, just like with but everything it, that it, they do. You know, in, in like one of my last podcasts, I told the story of, you know, my son, who, who you and I, our, our sons are close to the same age, probably within a year. And um, my son's always like, why weren't you in the military? And some of it would have been good, the discipline, but I think you and I are both such free thinkers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It wouldn't have worked. And, and, and our dads are very similar, and you work for your dad, and, you know, my dad I was think, a factory I think, worker. I feel like there's a general lack of titties in the military. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need titties. But, you know, it, it may have changed our way of thinking, and I think, like, my creative thinking and probably being dyslexic stuff, like, I think about things differently, and I'm able to solve, and I'm able to recognize I need help, and, you know, I Yeah, you've always, been, you've always been good at getting people to, you know, getting quality people and getting getting talent, you know? Uh, that's a yeah, that well, skill set, you know? Well, it's a lot that's easier when you, have 20, when you have 20 people than when you have 350. But, um, you know, speaking of that, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about, you know, me, you, and Johnny Nabeski traveling around. <laughs> oh, man, that was cool. That was- and you grabbing that big cop and telling him about it. Remember you, you, about uh, shooting the AR? Oh, yeah. Thank you. 
and uh the oh it's like a triangle you know using <laughs> that uh that very forward grip on the, yeah, that's, uh, that's the, the Chris it's Coffey like a triangle man. of power <laughs> yeah, yeah I looked at John I was like write, write that shit down <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you know like I thought I talked to Lorena last week and did a podcast with her that'll be published and you know John yeah I, I, seen, I seen her at SHOT Show she had a cool she did her, her part of her catalog on like a little Viewmaster it's super cool yeah um, I know she talked about that and I, I saw it and you know, it's amazing. It's been five years, which, you know, breaks my heart for me and you and yeah. her and her kids. And, yeah. and uh, you know, how time flies and how, you know, and, and I spoke to her about Lorena, you know, is Lorena reminds me a lot of you, actually. Like, yeah, yeah, we get on. Yeah, we get on super well, man. So Love funny. Her so, so into art, music, you know. I'm so, prou- I'm so proud of her for, you know, being able to to, to jump in there and and keep that company and that his legacy and just, you know, do that Dude, job, you know, it, so proud of her. It, it got me teary eyed because it's been five years since Johnny died. And I yeah. remember in the morning, I was the very first phone call that she made. And yeah. When I, when I answered the phone and she you said, you knew. Kevin, yeah. I knew, I knew he yeah. was dead. My ex-wife yeah. at the time said, is everything okay? And I said, yeah. and Lorena told me, I said, no, Johnny died. Um, you know, so just so heartbreaking. Because, yeah, I mean, right. you know, he called me. Yeah, so the time, yeah. you know, we spent together fishing, like, that's one of the greatest days of my life, you know. Well, like, you know, like, let's, we, let's segue that, you know, like, I think about when I met him was, like, at the first sponsor shoot, you know, like, and we talked about, like, a camaraderie in the industry or whatever, but, um, you know, you got to have that. It's like, everybody's so freaking... Oh my god, especially the freaking silence dorks, you know, it's like just uh fighting and you know, all this crap. It's like, you know, this is our peer group, you know. Um it's funny like barrel makers, guys barrel makers like Boots Obermeyer and all those guys that are they're they're like the beer makers of, of the gun industry. Like they'll share everything. You know, like they're like, Oh, that's a freaking I used a triple strep stress relief, you know, they'll tell everybody thing each to everybody, you know, all their processes and everything. And I think that you know, that's missing, you know, that kind of like the, the camaraderie and the, the fact that we are all, you know, kind of have the same common goal. And yeah, we're competing, you know, in a, in a marketplace, but it's like, these are our friends, you know, these are, it's, it's more than that. It's like our peers, it's that, you know, and I, I, that, that's what was so cool about those sponsor shoots. And there was other stuff like that back in the day, but, you know, we could get together and just hang out and shoot, not be, you know, running around. Yeah. You know, talking I mean, I about think, each other behind their backs and shit. Well, I mean, you were raised by a very sweet woman. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll say that. You're, you're She's not going to listen to this either, Kevin, but God bless my mother. You're all right, sir. <laughs> well, I, I ain't trying to suck up to her, but from my experience, you know, I know all of your family. Your dad is a huge asshole like me. Um, <laughs> and... You know, I I love your dad. I know he'd do anything in the world for me. But he's a huge asshole. Your mom is oh, she's sweetheart. Yeah, she's, she's a sweetheart. You figure she's oh, dealing with dealing with all us three brothers. God oh, bless her soul. God, <laughs> and my dad. Thanks for not fucking smothering all of you in your soul. But <laughs> you know, fact. yeah. But you know, like anybody that meets your mother with a would adore, just like your sister. 
And, um, um, what, Jesus, I forget what I was talking about now. What were we talking about? I don't know. Just whatever. Uh, just, yeah. Well, the, well, I don't know. Well, we were talking about, yeah, I mean, you just talked about family and stuff like that. And then John, we're well, talking about John. And then just like the, just yeah. kind of like the camaraderie of an industry. I mean, that sounds oh, that's oh, so well, cool, yeah. man. I wish, like, we need to do that. that again, was it. Man. Well, I didn't. You know? I didn't realize what I had was advanced armament. And, you know, I didn't realize, you know, like I came from, you know, like you've met my family. Like my family's great. And my parents were factory workers. And, you know, like I was, you know, probably less than 10 years before I sold my company. I still live with them. And, yeah. um, y- y- you know, and I didn't think about, like, I didn't realize how special it was. And those silencers. I told you not to fucking sell that company, dude. Well, easy you. for you. Easy I know. For you I'm just say. telling you. I fucking but, told you. Know, you. That, well, you did. You did, and you've been right about a lot of things. But here's the thing: like, you know, I, I had no debt. And what people don't realize now is you couldn't get loans for gun companies and stuff. Oh yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. That's a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. You know, and I didn't, and I don't have debt now. But yeah. um but it's no, it's a big luxury, people. man. These people that go out and they buy, you know, machines and stuff like that, and they're pay- paying yeah. payments on them and paying payments on buildings and stuff. That's that's tough, man. When you can't totally the big gun, especially commercial gun business, because the politics is so freaking volatile, man. Yeah. Well, it's you know, I started Advanced Armament with twenty thousand dollars, and I sold it for twenty two million. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and I almost sold it for ten million. Because yeah. to me, it's like I didn't have any debt, but once it got to be that kind of money, I couldn't ignore it. But I didn't realize, like, what I was doing at the time, I, I think you're right. It was very special. You should have just like, acted like you were selling it to me and then gone and worked for some other companies to really so then you could have realized how good you had it. Then I would yeah, well, it back. You, <laughs> you know, I mean, and you think I, saw, I sold at 35, and I'd had the company 17 years. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, it was it was a cool yeah. ride, man. Everything's kind of like that's the thing. As I look at like we talk about like you know people in the industry, family people, because they work for that company. I mean, they're that company. And I got so many friends in the industry, you know. And I always tell people get weird. They'll be working for somebody, you know, a real competitor, and you know, it's like, man, I do not care. It's like you're gonna be somewhere else eventually or whatever. It's like the person's the person's the person. I think people people learn that real quick when all of a sudden you know, they might be, you know screwing you over, sticking a knife in your back, and next thing you know, you got some other program that they got, they need you. So maintaining those relationships and, you know, just being, just, I won't say nice, but just being freaking just, just regular, you know what I mean? That's, 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 you know, I don't want to have anybody, obviously I got enough, whatever you call it, haters or people that, you know, think I'm spoiled or, you know, just fortunate because of my position, which that's all fucking true, but, um, I, in general, like to, I like people to like me, you know what I mean? I want to be able to go talk to, say hi to a competitor and, you know, um, not be mad. I remember going well, to a show, yeah. I remember going to a yeah, show yeah. and seeing my entire product knocked off on somebody's, somebody's, <laughs> somebody's table and, uh, well, I well, fucking well, ruined my whole goddamn week, you know what I mean, of the show and then I couldn't even do my job, <laughs> my job because I was in such a bad mood, so. Yeah, well, <laughs> can't let that I, shit I want to interrupt you with that. It's like, <laughs> let me interrupt you. It, I admire you and I've always honored you for trying to be cool with everyone because I will say Knight's Armament is the most knocked off company in our industry. And, oh, yeah. you know, whether it's Daniel Defense, LaRue, you know, anybody, you, 
Geisley, you guys are the most knocked off. Um, yeah. And you've always been cool with everyone. And yeah, I but I mean, this, you know, those guys wouldn't be wait, wait, those guys wait, wouldn't wait, be successful wait, if they weren't filling a niche. Wait, you know? wait, 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 wait. <laughs> and, and I think that's you know one thing that I admire in you and that I appreciate as a difference is where I try to strive more every day. But it's part of my personality. I am driven by conflict and competition. You are not. No. I, no. I wish I were that way. But that is the I don't like conflict, man. I hate conflict. You know, it's something I've always admired and always honored with you, but it's not me. Yeah, my dad, my dad, my dad likes it. Uh, I just don't like that kind of motive. I don't like negative reinforcement as motivation. Man. Um, well, that's your mother. That's your mother. Your mother. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, what what's the most innovative stuff recently? What's our industry missing or lacking? What do you got there? Uh, uh, I mean, I just, I, I guess I wish everybody would get off the AR-15 kick, you know what I mean? Um, oh, God, do I. You know, uh, I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's like, I think you're going to see a host of electron, more electronics devices be able to come to market. Um, you know, I don't hunt, you know what I mean? Um, so it's hard for me to, like, have a, under, you know what I mean, like, to know that market or cater towards that market or whatever. Um so I, I don't know, commercial, I, I guess I'm not really versed to talk about the commercial. In general, I just wish people would start. There's like, everybody can have a, rap, a good rapid prototype machine at their house. They can have all this stuff. Just quit making the same shit, you know? Somebody make something cool. Make something new, you know? Like, look at the nice guys. Look at the nice industry. Those guys are always coming up with the cool new shit. Um, yeah, know, I, the, I, I'm with you on I like the new stuff. You know, uh, uh, yeah, it drives me insane. Just creativity, uh, you know. It's a good example. Um, what's your current favorite music? Uh, uh, well, you know, <clears throat> I, I love it all. I love all music. Um, <clears throat> it's funny. My, it's now everything kind of like you were saying, it becomes about your kids. So it's like, you know, you wait for your kids to see what they're into music-wise or whatever. And my son got yeah. a affinity for Beastie Boys. And I was like, yes. So, of course, we're going to talk in. I bought the entire catalog and, you know, got him, got him tuned into that. So you kind of do stuff for them. I play music, but I, I'm not, I'm not very good at it. So I, I kind of blues based stuff like that. But, um, I really got into electronic music, um, just because of the way it's produced and the way it's made. And I kind of learned about the instruments. So I'm not really a musician, but I'm kind of a technical person. So, um, have a pretty, you know, cl- big collection of guitars, recording equipment, all that gear. I've always been good at like, the sound guy or, you know, the, the, the gear guy. Uh, I, my dream is to one day have stuff set up in some kind of a studio, have a studio. And, you know, then of course, kind of my passion for these, uh, for these hot rods and doing the car stuff is taking a, a front seat to that, uh, right now. But yeah, music and music, um, is, is a big part. It has always been a big part of my life and art to, to a lesser well, degree. I like music because it's just immediate, you know, but I, I really want to start painting well, again at some point in time. Well, I, I paint and draw and stuff every week, but I would disagree with you completely. You are a great, you know, musician and artist, and um, you know, I, I don't like to hear you discount yourself. No, you know what I mean. It's like I'm, I'm like I have enough. Now I like to, I, you know, whatever they call it, you know, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. But I really love to know about everything. It's like it's so crazy to me, kids. That like, well, what are you into, man? You know, uh, nothing. You're like, what do you mean you're into nothing? How can you be into nothing? It's like, I could have a new hobby like every freaking week. You know what I mean? It's like, 
I love learning about new stuff. And, you know, the Internet's so crazy now that you can just go on and watch YouTube videos. And I'm not saying you're an expert, but you could – the ability to just to get information, whether it's – I'm not saying it's the best information, but your ability to acquire information about just random stuff is better than it's ever been. It's really, it's really neat to be able to, you know, especially a lot of that electronic music equipment is super complicated and menus and it's just not very intuitive so you know you have to you know you either sit through a freaking manual that's like four inches thick or you can go on youtube and learn how to do stuff so that's just kind of a neat a neat time period for that but man i just can't believe that people that just don't have like a passion which is just some people don't you know what i mean uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't understand. You know, because I think some people are born creative. Some people are born seeking their passion. Some people, yeah, are, you more know, analytical or whatever. Yeah, that's me judging by employees and other people in my life. And you know, like passion's what drives me. Like if I didn't have a passion for anything at this point in my life, I would rather die. Like I, yeah. I just don't see the point of living. And I think that's hard for some people to understand. But um, well, what about current art? What are you into? Because I know what I'm into. Um, that is, into pop. <laughs> I, well, I, I I don't. I, you know, I, the thing is, I've never. Um, I got an artist that I've been been collecting lately. They're getting framed right now. I don't know where they are, but he's uh he does this um he does this western kind of modern. Oh, let me find this. Let me find this thing. He's he's hold on a second. Yeah, his name's Gabe Leonard, and he does these like. Um, he does this like cowboy, but chicks and guns and he's a lot of musicians and stuff that kind of cartoony stylistic, but I really dig those. Um, you know, art's just, I never, I never, it's just not like a thing that I, I don't know, I studied it. So it's, it's not like I go from one thing to another, obviously architecture, you know, or something like that. I love, I love furniture design. Um, you know, I, you, I look at like the stuff that those guys do with the knife. That's art. You know, it, it really is. Um, even, you know, some of these, some of the guns, like some of these pistols, like look at the stuff that like Jesse James is doing. I think that that's art. I think it's, you know, people talk about him or whatever, but I, you know, the, the stuff he's building really is gorgeous. You know, it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but it's, I, I love that embellished guns. You know, I was never like into the shotguns with the engravings and shit like that, but I do think there's a place for, for art guns, you know, um, or in guns. I will say in my last podcast, I gave him praise, and I'm so excited. Jesse James for industry. has an incredible eye for style that you can't buy, and he does a lot of cool shit. His 1911s are unparalleled, in my opinion. Like, I love what he does. And, yeah, it's cool. You know, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not my cup of tea. I, uh, you know, it's funny. <clears throat> People always say, like, never meet your heroes. You know what I mean? It's, that's how you ruin, like, your image of somebody. And I I, I, I loved the, the Monster Garage and those TV shows that he did. And it's like, it's just like, there's so, he's so missing. That type of person is just so missing from what we're exposed to on TV and everywhere. You know what I mean? Um, so I like that, that idea that there was, hey, you know, for, for young people that, Go out and make something. Do something with your hands, and you can be successful, and you know whatever else. But um, I recently uh, have, have had met him. Met him at the at shot show and talked to him. And you know, it's it's funny. I said, you know, hey, I won't make fun of your guns if you don't make fun of my car project. So we kind of got a running deal on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I've talked to yeah. him a few times recently yeah. too, and uh, you know, I like him personally. Very much. Yeah, he's cocky. You would like him. 
Well, yeah, probably. Because I thought he wasn't. But, you know, I honor him for his gun stuff and, you know, some of the shit I don't even agree with. But, you know, I'm like you. I don't agree with most people in our industry, and you'll never say that because you're a nice guy. Um, But there's so much dumb shit that I just hate. And, you know, you would just say, well, it's not that creative, but it's just stupid. And um, his willingness to express himself and to not give a fuck what anybody thinks, and he's done some really great things that I can't do. And he brings a whole new – like when you talk about Monster Garage or uh, Biker Build-Off, you know, all oh, those don't, things. I, I, mean, talk, I wanted to talk, I, that's like one of the few times I wanted to Elvis Presley my fucking TV set, man. I wanted to fucking shoot my TV when that, 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 that episode was on. I was so mad. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, he brings all that to our industry. And, um, yeah. you know, I really, I really honor him and, and like, I, you know, you love design and art and so do I. So I really love that stuff. And, and, and that makes me glad that he's here because there's so, like if I see another fucking spikes tactical, I'm gonna kick a baby. Like, oh, dude, I, I just those it. guys are cool too, man. They did, they've done some cool stuff. The, the designer there has done some really neat stuff and some some mediumly innovative stuff too. So, and I wouldn't I wouldn't throw them in that pile, man. Well, I would throw anybody. It, it, everybody, everybody. I don't care who you are. Like Gel, most Gel-Tex, every company Gel-Tex. got one Gel-Tex. thing that they do that's cool. Galtech's awesome, man. It's doing some cool stuff. Spikes yeah. tactical, defense. Eh, no. Eh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to go so far as to say that, man. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what's interesting for me is, is like, as one, you know, you watch Jesse James, especially, like, his sheet metal stuff. It's like, that is a fucking art form. You know what I mean? You don't just wake up and learn how to do that. You know what I mean? So watching him kind of learn that tradecraft and, you know, having an insight because his life is so public that you kind of get to see that. Um, but now he's like, oh, now you're in my freaking briar patch. You know what I mean? It's like now, you know, and he's learning and, you know, doing a lot of stuff, but you know, he, he, now he's in, a, in my field. You know what I mean? So it's it's interesting yeah. for me to kind of to pick stuff well, out. I, I think it's cool. I mean, I I, I kind of equate well, not exactly, but I remember when Surefire got into silencers and mm-hmm. uh, Jim Tech Jim Tech called me, who I've never really gotten along with at any level, but um, that you know, they were like, oh, we're who do you get along with, Kevin? <laughs> I get along with you. Yeah, all right, all right. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, not a lot of people, but, but I don't really care. Um, yeah. yeah. But they were like, oh, well, we're just going to close up shops. Your fire is going to dominate silencers because they have so much marketing money. And I remember thinking, oh, my God. This is so great because Surefire is going to raise artificially raise the price of silencers and create all this awareness, and I'm going to get rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. That was my thought, and it was completely polar opposite of Gemtech's thought. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. You looked at oh. the opportunity. You know. Well, I mean, to be honest, like you did a service, you did a service for Surefire. You know what I mean? It was, you know, you were, you were, you guys were all out there. Banging the, you know, banging the drum, carrying the flag, you know. So. Oh yeah, that's, that's, I mean, cool. they, they when we beat them in a contract, they went after us in a violent, aggressive corporate manner. Who that, Surefire? And, oh god, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, whatever. They, they, I, I, they tried, I think. They tried I, to I think take that, us out of business, think, do all kinds of things, which I thought was really shitty. Now I know it's just big business, but it really yeah. motivated me to kick their ass. And, and well, we there did, you go. Which was There's some of that yeah. negative reinforcement that you require. 
<clears throat> yeah, which now I like Surefire a lot better than Gym Tech. <laughs> like I don't. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, they're they're good. again they're a good company. I admire a lot of things that they've done for the for the market. And again, I, I really just like success stories that have happened in my lifetime. You know, we talked about Magpul. And the first thing when you didn't record it, um, but yeah, I love it's like you know little little science experiments that you don't have to use your own money and watch, you know. So uh, Magpul should have never been successful, but they have been bullshit. so successful. No, oh, I, I don't think so. The okay, you and I are along, uh, along uh, uh, around long enough to understand. You and I are, are around long enough to understand that the thermal mag, all these plastic mags, have been out there. They were not widely upset, uh, accepted. Um, Magpul did it. Magpul did it correctly. They marketed it. And what's what's Mike's name? The engineer, one of the Mayberry? guys started. Mag- yeah, Mike. Mike what Mayberry. A, cool. You got yeah. what? A, and then Richard Fitzpatrick. I mean, I remember Richard Fitzpatrick literally got the first NBA show handing out Magpuls, little rubber things that went on the bottom of your magazine. You're like, oh, okay, cool, buddy. That's a cool product. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which, and then, which you know, the first shot you that they showed up with a gun, you're like, holy shit, you're a fucking real company. Um, but well, yeah, but I love, magazine, I love their success story. Uh, again, in oh, my period, you had, too. You had all those AR-15s favorite. out there and all those boxes. Like, I don't know there could be another Magpul, you know? Um, no, no. I agree time and, and, and I attribute it to Mike Mayberry. And the designs that he did, and and Richard, man, Richard's out there, you know, had had a lot of the he had a lot of the ideal of the company that we're going to go against the grain, that we're gonna we're gonna do stuff the way we want to do it. So that was really his ethic that did that part of it. Um, which you know, it's cool, it's real cool. They they they're they're, they're a neat company, man. Um, so I like, think they're a great company, and I love and honor them, and you know, yeah. it's even I was very. Um, you know, I had a lot of commentary about their 1022 stocks and all this because I kind of felt, in my mind, like a lot of us, I think, seeing Magpul grow up, it was disappointing to me to see some of the things we know they've done. Then they go to, like, just the commercial market. And I'm like, God damn it. I want to see you guys because you have brilliant people. Mike is fucking brilliant. Innovate things for the military because, you know, during this war – I've been very passionate about the military, and you've built stuff, and I've built stuff to help kill bad guys and, you know, more importantly, save our buddies' lives, and I'm real into that. When I see them do shit like the 1022 stock, I'm like, God damn it. Do something that matters. But I see them transform our industry, and I was wrong, and and I, I, I applaud them, and I love them for that. Yeah, me. I, I've sat and had that, that discussion with people, you know, from the company about like your contribution. Like, what, you know, what, what you asked that about KC, but like, what are you really, really like? When it's all said and done, what are they going to remember you for? You know what I mean? Um, the PMAX is saying, you know what I mean, but I think that they're that that that's that's just kind of like a capital generator. I think that there's that that they're way way more than that. Um, and they well, yeah, they went from ten billion to three hundred million. So they were right, mm-hmm. and I was wrong. And it, it was just the right time period, man, with everybody buying all those AMA AR-15s because of the stupid election stuff and politics. Yeah, um, I mean, they got lucky, but you know how it goes. You get lucky when you try a lot. Like the guy yeah, yeah. who wins the lottery buying one lottery ticket—that's not that common. Um, what about um? What do you think about working with family? We're working with family. It's yeah. difficult. It's difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no shit. 
Um, well, I will say what you. It's announced. awesome. You know, it's awesome to have to. You know what I mean to to have an interest in it. Um, for the family members to have, like my sister has no interest in it, but that's great too. But you know, it's like I don't care who you are. You, you, you no no one person can run run this show. You know what I mean or drive this ship. So having yeah, well having uh, having my brothers uh, be interested in the business is. Yeah, I'm, I'm I was always glad of that it's just very difficult to kind of to to lay out the. the the turf, so to speak, the areas of responsibility and, you know, the turf, just, just, just this, you know, territory, territorialness of, of just brothers in general. And that's well, all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it, it's not surprising that there's some conflict and all, but to see what you guys have all accomplished. And, you know, I, I will say, you know, I know your brothers and I know your sister and of course you and your dad and, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll honor all of you for contributions that you've made, but, you know, it's funny talking to your dad one day and he, you know, he's a bit of an egomaniac and he's a narcissist and that's a popular, you know, it's like a pop term to describe someone who's bad, but it's really not. It's like any leader, you have incredible amounts of narcissism in you and your dad is someone, there's few people I respect more than your father. Um, oh, he's a bad man. No matter what I, you know, I, I, we fight. Something we used to a, a lot more, but, um, but at the end of the day, he is a bad man. Uh, I can't. Yeah, and or, you know, like people talk, don't even know. You know what I mean? And, and to be honest, it's like it's really difficult to like to go tell the world and not be a dick or be braggy or be whatever. You no, know? Like, well, people I don't even you, know. You know, at your dad's birthday party, and I think he was sixty six, sixty seven, something like that. I was the only person not a member of your immediate family that was there. And I was right. talking to your dad, and I'm like, man, you know, and telling your dad how I appreciate how he inspired me and that, you know, whatever. You know, I, I was giving some compliments. And, you know, and your dad, he does have an ego, and he yeah. does have a lot of these things that I have, and he is a bit of an ass. Um, but he's always incredible to me. And he says, yeah. Kevin, you know what? You know what? If it weren't for their mother, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this stuff. Oh, uh, that's a fact. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and it could be a fact from you or your brothers or your sister, but your dad saying it, and he's like, you know what? I sacrificed all this shit. I was never there. Their mother did everything. And I was really driven, and I did this thing, and she was supportive of it, and I couldn't have done it without her because we had these little brats, and they needed to go to school, and they needed lunch, and they needed breakfast, and they needed dinner, and they needed homework, and they needed all these things I couldn't do, and I wasn't here for her, but she did. And um, yep. she was very supportive, and, like, what a cool thing, because you, you you don't hear that a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. You know, I did, like, this... His legacy, like especially with the museum, you know, it's 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 pretty bananas, you know. It's because it's been such a part of his life, his passion, and like, you know, pretty easy to see a path forward for how Knights Army Company is gonna, you know, thrive, survive, whatever, all those things. But the museum of like how how that's gonna be held together and what we're gonna do to make it sustainable, you know what I mean? It's really yeah, and uh, people that don't. People that don't know, I think it's still private, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, you know, Knight's Armament, uh, the Knight family has probably the largest gun collection in the world, and I would say my estimation would be 
75,000 square feet that the guns cover, just the ones that are on display. The tank museum is so big you need a go-kart to go around it, and it's indoor. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, this, the problem is it's just like running out of space. How do you display it? How do you make it available to the public? How do you do all those things? So we've we got some concepts. Hopefully in these next couple of years we'll be able to launch something that's going to be a sustainment plan for that museum, whether it's, you know, talked about like, basically the hard rock cafe or you know of guns or even the uh you know we talk about that bobber motorsport um motorcycle museum and racetrack that's in yeah uh, yeah you and i went to it yeah yeah something something like that you know um but yeah well that thing's gonna great maybe maybe that's what you and i'll do in retirement like we'll give tours but um (laughs) at any rate people that don't know you know you can look it up what is uh yeah inst miltech dot com institute of military technology dot com i think it's instmiltech dot com so um, just google institute of military yeah. technology yeah there's not a, there's not uh, a lot of stuff up there but um there's you know give you a little bit of a rough idea of you know what it's about and yeah one where, big huge room is just eugene stoner's office all his designs i mean knight's armament and correct me if i'm wrong trey has m16 number one thompson number one bar number one m16 yeah some cool one, pieces like, my dad's gotten really into these experimental trials guns, you know, so now he's got, like, all the guns that compete against the 1911. Um, so then one of the oh. nine guns that were only ever made once, and there's just so much cool shit that, you know, again, like, somebody else won the lottery. Somebody else won, whether it was by design or politics or whatever, especially politics back then. So there's just cool shit that never got made, you know. Um, and going into yeah, discovering I mean, that stuff is so cool. I mean, I, I was say, and this isn't an ass kiss, because I don't give a fuck you like me or not at this point. Like, we're friends for 20 years, you have to. But um, the Knights Armament Museum is like trying to describe the Grand Canyon that someone doesn't like to travel. It's, it, it's, it's incredible. Like, I have a lot of guns. Like, I have a multi-million dollar gun collection. Like, you got a, you got a freaking gold, you got a stainless, or you got a nickel 93R, I'll say that. i will fill it to you you can have it i don't give a shit but um it's not anything to the knight's armament collection um well i mean the thing is this reference collection the ability for that stuff to be studied i mean we do we do a lot of you know um we have a lot of programs with the government where we take either existing or old stuff and and study it study the recoil study the metallurgy so it's a reference collection it's not just like a bunch of pretty guns on a wall you know um, so it's always yeah. been that. I mean, um, and it's I, always I, I for, will, will for other designers to be able to go there, use it for, for uh, you know, Larry uh, Vickers came down and, and did uh, a good portion of his, his the AR-15 books down here. So by making it available to those people, you know, that's that's what it's that's what it's for. You know what I mean? Well, um, Larry Vickers is not dumb, but I will say everything Knights Armaments developed for the military, you know, there's probably uh, it came out of that collection. Um, so it's a brilliant thing. I mean, your dad's been smart in a whole lot of ways. Your family has been. Your mother has been for letting him do his thing. She's been, um, what, let's, just, let's just say she's been tolerant. Let's say Reed Knight never got in the gun industry. What mm-hmm. else would you like to work in? What, what yeah. else is it? Because I know there's why? two or three other industries I'd like to try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my joke is, like, why couldn't it be in, like, the famous lingerie designer or something? You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> but... Uh, you know my, you know my famous joke though. You know what I mean. I, I don't know if that's even for a podcast. It's probably safe for, uh, safe for. Where else? 
Yeah. Well, my people always said, man, you got the best job in the world, you know? And I was like, listen, all shooting guns and, you know, even something that seems like fun after a while, it's, you know, it just gets to be a job. I was like, you think hookers like fucking after a while? And I just <laughs> shut up like 99% of people, you know, until one day this older dude looks at me straight in the face. I used that joke on him, you know, and I've been using that joke for fucking five, ten years. Say it to this guy, this guy looks at me straight in the face. He goes, son, the good ones do. So, <laughs> I guess that's, that's been like in life, my advice to everybody is just be a good hooker, you know. But, uh, anyways, uh, no, I, I tell you, it's, it's funny. I thought about that recently because I kind of, we always talk about marketing and a couple things that I find interesting. And you kind of touched on it back in the AAC stuff. But I think I, I really enjoy a little bit about, from what I know about it, and I think it'd be fun as the tattoo industry. And I, I don't have tattoos or anything, but, um, number one is I think the equipment could be made better. You know, that, that's pretty archaic method of punching a needle in the skin, which that's a big part of it is, you know, ritual and it be in a certain way and you know old school machines but i feel like you could use some, some modern step motor brushless step motor uh technology and make a, a smaller they call them machines but a smaller and a more reactive machine and i feel like the trade shows would be fun uh, so that's one that i that, that i thought would be cool another funny one this is a good one man is uh i got a, a lot of friends that are in the uh you know the uh hair business, you know what I mean, barbers or whatever. And um, I do not know that. You know, <laughs> you don't have no friends that are barbers, dude. <laughs> no, some motherfuckers don't. We well, all, we all don't buy wigs with our forties. Yeah, yeah, well, anyways, when I'm getting my luxurious blonde haircut, sometimes. Um. Uh. Anyways, but I think that that'd be a cool bit industry because I think the trade shows would be fun, you know. Um. That, that type of thing. And the marketing would be fun. I, I always, you know, would love to like take my the marketing thing and turn it over to something else. But immediately, um, I kind of started a, a company at Night Motors or Night, Night Motor Works or whatever. So I got a logo and I'm going to start some kind of an informal company for the, for the car stuff that I'm doing. Um, and I really don't know what I'm trying to think about, like what I can do with these things. You know, you get a bunch, I'm always about the project and then you get done and you got, you know, shit lying around or whatever. So I think I'm thinking about, you know, auctioning or using the, some of these vehicles as donations for trade school scholarships for veterans, you know, um, auction them off. And well, yeah, I mean, when you told me about that truck, that truck earlier, like if uh, you auction that off, I would buy that truck. Yeah, um, I mean, I would buy that truck too. <laughs> I, mean, I don't I want anything a- ridiculous, but if it's like a suicide door Lincoln or a, you know, C-10, what, whatever it is, like I would – consider buying that for me to drive yeah well my my original concept was to actually try to set up some garages in some different towns you know in some of the military towns and get VA money to do that but man I can barely run my own garage so it's, it's getting good quality people and setting all that up it seems to be maybe trouble but that'd be my like my long-term goal you know I got a lot of relationships with people in NASCAR and car companies and my dad's got a lot of relationships with the car companies so I'd love to you know, use that as a vocational training. Plus, also, you know, scholarships for vocational schools can be as short as three to six months or a year or whatever. You're not talking about yeah. four-year college and dorms. Or you can teach you can teach somebody a, a welding trade or shit. I don't care, whatever, drywall, anything. You know what I mean? That you can that you can go out and give scholarships to guys that that are deserving. But of course, to me, I, well, we've always had a connection with the automotive stuff and just the technology. It's a lot of the same problems that. You deal with thermal, thermal friction, you know, all the same kind of stuff that you're dealing with with, with firearms. So 
I love I love cars. Yeah, I love I all mean, cars. I, I love all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you and I have always shared a love for innovation and design, and you know, and then also, you know, like extortion. What was it? Extortion seventeen, 17. whatever the. Yeah, that was yeah. the first event there. Yeah, yeah where, that's you know, John Clements, who was in charge of a lot of that shit at the time, was a good buddy of ours and a group we'd supported for a long time, and they lost a bunch of guys. And I don't know, you yeah, and I terrible. Got, like. We got we drank a bunch of beers. We got crazy, and I think combined we probably spent like seventy five thousand dollars. Well, I was I mean, if, and we also bid all the stuff up on there. That's that's obviously a great fun. You know, it makes me you know realize what how blind I was towards those kind of tragedies. You know what I mean? That was such a big tragedy. And I remember talking to one of the Gold Star wives and being like, you know, not understanding that no man, everybody's dead. They're all dead. My husband is dead. You know. I felt like such a freaking idiot asshole, you know. So it's like, I don't know, just the connection, you know, with with those families and what they go through, and just just you know, health issues and just everything, man. It's 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 just the VA and the support network for those guys, just uh, emotional support and everything when they get back is shit, man. And that's just something I I would. It'd be, it's always nice to be able to take something else that you love and care about and try to refocus or purpose that towards something as important as, as, yeah, I mean, you know. I, I think for, for you and I both being, I mean, you're more compassionate than I am. I'll say that with us being friends. Um, but us both being compassionate, both being fathers, both thinking about those things, next generation. And there's these groups we support, which we honor because they're going to kill bad guys. And, you know, a lot of these guys die. And it, it, yeah. you know, and it's hard. And you know, we don't really realize it because you and I aren't like shot at or blown up in our daily lives. And, um, we we Speak go to these <laughs> <laughs> but, but we go to these, you know, we go to these memorials and we go to these services and these auctions and fundraisers for families of these kids or, uh, you know, families where where these guys have these kids. In some cases, they never even seen them born. Yeah, I mean, my, that's my point though. Just like I just, I, I really like the idea of, of charity, charitable causes, or, or you know, things that don't require you dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey man, yeah. this is just, this is just because, hey, you did an awesome job, and you know, we want to make some resources available to you. Not, oh shit, you got your, you know, you, you're double amputee, or you're, you know, you're dead, or whatever. Here now we're gonna, now we're gonna help you. You know what I mean? That's you gotta. You know, uh, like the guys, the guy, you know, the guys I'm good friends with that, that do the combat flip flops, man. And, uh, Griff, that's, yeah. that's, that's a great cause, man. I, I really support his idea. And especially to come from people that have been in war and, you know, did that and wore that freaking carried that, bore that, that weight, that cross and just still have a vocal opinion about war and, and the negative, negativity of it and, and not necessarily, you know, being a, Full supporter. I feel that way too. I'd much rather I always say you'd much rather educate and save somebody in a country and, and educate them and have them be self-sustaining than have to go somewhere and kill them. You know, and so it's like that proactive method of of just taking care of people, whether it's your community, whether it's the people that work for you, whether it's the people in your town, whether it's the people in your country, or you know, globally, it's the whole world. You know, and you got to look at it like that level. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, that reminds me of a couple other things. Um, you know, I remember 15, 20 years ago, I was watching X-Files, 
in the Smoky Man. He had uh, an interesting Ruger revolver. Yeah, silent. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they could copy of the gun of that gun back then. Maybe it was a copy. Yeah. Maybe it was, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, it's called the R squared. And um, yeah, it's a, it's, this is an example of capture piston ammo um, case telescope. Um, but when I was at night five ten years ago, you and I were hanging out. We shot. Some yeah, we shit. shot it. Yeah, yeah, we're fucking awesome. We shot the the seven millimeter version of the R squared, which is for those that don't know, people say silencers can't be silenced or uh revolvers, revolvers can't be silenced. Yeah. That uh Knight's Armament did a capture piston or uh K telescope that was a Ruger Red Hawk, which is a forty four Magnum that was uh shooting a seven millimeter cartridge of a case telescope. It was a we metered it that day, if you remember. It was hundred and seventeen D B. Yeah, man. So and, and and that gun was still obviously for the bullet design and everything else, that that was that gun was still lethal at, you know, two, three hundred meters or whatever. So Yeah, as a, and, as a, and, as a, and that gun was fucking designed twenty years ago. Hundred and seventeen D beefs. People don't know. This isn't Jesse James, this isn't C G S. This is fucking reality. Seven hundred and seventeen DB. Hundred and seventeen D B was a twenty two rifle bolt action with a silencer on it with subsonic ammo. Well, yeah, I mean at that point at, at that point because it was a revolver, you're really relying on the the, 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 the the decibel level of the action itself. So at that point you're you know, the bolt clank and all that. Um yeah, and if you that. remember, like, I shot a target at 100 yards, and it's like, holy fuck, it's just silent. And that was no, a no, revolver. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, that gun was legit, and the pistol was cool, too. That was, again, those were some of the cool, I mean, there was, there were so many things like that, you know, that were around, and that we kind of, like, came to the dance with, uh, over, you know, and even way cooler stuff than that, um, but... That was, that was, those were the days, man, as being able to do cool stuff like that. Um, you know, it was just a different time period. You know, there was no, there was, there, there was just the very beginning. There was no Yusokan. There was no, you know what I mean? It was just the very beginning of, of this, of just the day, the war on terror and this, 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 I mean, you know, we've been at war so freaking long, man. You know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, it's like people are born their whole lives. You know what I mean? It's like, People don't remember that when when their time when that wasn't the, that wasn't the threat, you know. I mean, it was the Russians or whatever, but we weren't. And this just this constant conflict over in the Middle East. Um, it's been a different time period. You know, it's been a different world since then. Uh, well, I, I, I can't imagine being Night Sergeant because, like, I honor Night Sergeant. I've challenged you guys a few times, but it's like at this point, in my career. I don't prove shit to anybody. Like, if you want the best silencer, you want something quiet, you pay me, and it, it's a good cause. Like, I'm going to fucking do it. And that's the way I view night. Um, but, you, you know, it, it's, for example, how, how many uh, M4QDs have you guys made? Oh, M4 yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the main contract was like 60,000 units, and we're still delivering them, you know? <clears throat> and the funny thing now is, the funny thing now is um, they're still around. So they've got they bought yeah. new stuff and worn it out, and then they go back to that stuff because it's still still kicking. You know that thing is proverbial brick shit house of 
of sound suppressors, you know, and, and that's a, kind of the point, you know, it's like, it's a, that was a, that's like a big army device. It was good enough that, and I don't mean to, to say this in the wrong way, but obviously specialized guys that have more training and more time and money to train have more specialized equipment and have the ability and the time to maintain it and use it properly. And they get new stuff, but the regular dude that gets issued a rifle that's been used or a suppressor that's been used before, that suppressor was really the first suppressor that was, uh, I'm going to call, you know, GI proof or, you know, Marine proof or whatever. It was, it was, it was built to be able to be re- a real field thing on the level of a service rifle, you know, uh, that's, that, that was pretty special. I think that still is special. I don't know that, I don't know how many cans, you know what I mean? have been after that. Plus, you know, the mounting system being the same for that period of time, guess what? You still buy a flash hider, still put it on your same gun, you know, with that same same mounting system. No, I'll, I'll say, like, I don't know. I haven't seen it recently because some of these new silencer companies, they were so stupid. They probably don't even know it. But it, it was like, you were you were silencer back when it was cool, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, it totally. really wasn't cool when I got into it, but I believe You had it. hair, dude. You had hair back then. I did. I did not have hair. You're an idiot. But um, but you, you know, um, you know the the silencer had to meet certain durability requirements, had to meet accuracy, point of impact, shift requirements, and they yeah, were pretty basic. And you get and you guys met it, and people will criticize it now. When I see, and I don't even like to mention them because they're so stupid and so gay and just so horrible. And so uneducated, but like Griffin Armament or Griffin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, you know, I don't talk. You know, I don't talk shit about anybody. I won't say nothing about nobody. But fuck those guys, man. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Two little brothers from Wisconsin that were in the army, so they think they know a lot. Fuck you guys. You guys are fucking. It's like things that we made that I made myself, you know what I mean? Because it was aesthetic and they only made them to look like that. I mean, they, they were functional, you know, flash riders and lightning methods or whatever, but it's like, that's my fucking look, man. That's like my jam. And they would copy yeah. that stuff. It's like, there was well, no reason, technical reason to copy it other than to make it look like my shit. And, yeah. You know, but it was my own personal you know, that time, Austin, so. their, their names, I think, are Austin and Evan or Austin and Kevin I, or Austin. Maybe if I met a man, I I, 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 I always feel like, you always get mad at this company or Ford, Chevy, whatever, but I'd probably be uh, mad at uh, you're cool. so I'd be gay. nice. Don't, don't I'd be gay. gay. I'm but just telling you. You, you know... So it was like Austin, when I met the guys from Bruder and Tommet. They knocked all our shit off. And, I, you know, when I finally met them, I couldn't really be mad at them when they told us that. No, H&K brought us your shit and told us to knock it off, you know. Well, well you know, you, when, you, when you get to, when you, it's like. Well, that's kind of you being not naive, but nobody took Griffin Armament anything and said knock it off. Those uh, two dudes. Yeah, you're, right. you're right. Yeah. You're right. They're, they're fucking idiots. And they're a little well, douchebag. That's, 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 that's harsh, Kevin, but. <laughs> I, 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 I don't I don't like to like it personally whatever per, you know it's like we talked about other people you know that you don't necessarily like their personalities but what they contribute to them to the to the to the to the warfighter or to the market or whatever man um, well you know yeah I don't really consider those guys these guys that but no I know um, but you know what I'm saying you can't just because somebody's yeah. an asshole or a jerk or whatever just, just you know discount no, their entire. No. Everything. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. not challenging them because of that. Just Otherwise, like, nobody yeah. would buy your shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not the biggest asshole, but uh-huh. um, 
But, you, you, you know, at least with BMT, they said, okay, HK Bros just told us to do it. Like, Griffin yeah. just stole your shit, stole my shit. Yeah. They just steal everybody's stuff, and they make it. And, yeah, man. You know, and then I, I saw this Instagram Live somebody sent me the other day, and it's like one of those little cocksuckers was saying, oh, I've been in this since I was five years old, and Kevin just has grew up with a lot of money, and he hires people that are really smart to make what he wants. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it goes. So you steal everybody's shit, and you're justified because Listen, you were in the Channel, Channel, we don't need to sit here. You just like what you said. You don't need to waste your time talking about that kind of stuff. It just brings you down. You're fucking with my cheat. <clears throat> okay. Positive, yeah, man. Well, you're, you're right, because their stuff is total garbage, and they screw anyway. everyone. But anyway, um, yeah, so I will say, you know, the M4QD – like, that's a huge success story. It's a big, you know, to me, that's what that silencer convinced the Army. We should go with silencers. And, yeah, no uh, doubt. That's super good exciting enough, to you me. Know. Yeah. So that's Put on totally to me and super exciting. What? In the 249. I mean, it was also, you know, the first use. Uh, you know, we were using Ink and L, um, and we were using the EDM and the bore. So those were... That was groundbreaking technology. Nobody else was doing that, you know. And now, obviously, everybody almost does that now. So, those two, those two technical features of that suppressor were pretty heavy duty. Yeah, I mean that that silencer deserves its place. It was way ahead. Um, yeah, so that was that. Um, Hold on, I got a parallel parking. You know how I <laughs> Here goes two two tickets. Oh God! I wish you could have seen that. He's a fucking stellar. <laughs> oh, I'm sure First I don't shot. wish this. Uh, where are you, Peril Parking? What are you doing? I gotta go. I gotta go. I'm interviewing. I'm trying to hire somebody. Hey, you remember that time we flipped that Polaris? Why don't you describe that accident before you go? <sighs> Wasn't even that good of an accident. Um, oh yeah, my, so my hair. Was, my hair wasn't even out of place. My hair was perfect right after. That. I think like you got your knees all skinned up, you know, crying, how to have kids, you know, help you and bandage you up or whatever. Like I don't even think I lost my sunglasses. Yeah, so, and I had to have gravel surgically removed. Well, uh, it was the tires, man. What happened was I had mud tires on that thing. We're <laughs> on a gravel road. I shortly thereafter put just some different tires on there. Recently, I put street tires on that sucker. So we'll go, we'll go reboot that. I'll take you for another ride in that same that same Polaris now. See how you think about it. And then you can come for a ride in the Can-Am. I got much better. I've only flipped a Can-Am once too. So you know that's well, it's just like so. Here's here, 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 here's a good here's a good analogy, man, for for life or whatever. It's a good thing to end on, man. So you know the thing is is like messing up. You know, flipping a flipping a car, or flipping a truck, or flipping a vehicle. You know, you don't know where the boundaries are until you're at. So I guess that's kind of a of a good business and life situation is if you're going to really be pushing it, anything, I don't care what it is, you're going to, you got to know where that line is. And sometimes that cause, you know, that's, you learn where that line is by fucking up. So well, yes, that's t- my, tell the whole that's story my, or I'll tell the whole story. <laughs> that's, that's you tell the whole story. The don't be afraid to wreck. <laughs> All right. So, so I'll tell the story then. No, you're not telling the, we're not telling the story. Everybody's heard that story. It's all story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I got to go. All right, bud. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Bye.